That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Gonzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Gonzano's Bald Face Truth. Well, we are now in a new era where there are no rivalries. There are no friendships. If you are a major college football program, you are in a everyone-for-themselves mentality, an everyone-for-themselves world. How are you feeling about this if you are a Pac-12 football fan? You've got a big football season ahead. Oregon and Oregon State will go different directions at the end of this season. What happens next for the Beavers? I'll have some intel on that. What's left of the Pac-4 conference? We'll talk about it. Plus, how will the Ducks do in the Big Ten? Who will their new rivals be? Will it be USC? Will it be somebody else that emerges as Oregon's new rival? And how are you feeling about all this? As a, as a college fan who's watching this all go down, I can't think that everybody is comfortable with what they're seeing. Some news today on the uh, on the Pac-4 front. It appears that Stanford and Cal are at least in some early discussions with the ACC. It does not appear that Stanford and Cal are interested in joining the Mountain West Conference. Rubbing shoulders with Fresno State, Boise State, uh, not uh, not probably in the cards for Stanford and Cal. But if you're Oregon State and you are Washington State, you may not have any other choice. You may be relegated to a position uh, where you have to join the Mountain West Conference or invite the Mountain West Conference to take over the Pac-12's name and uh, brand. And uh, by the way, is that necessarily a good thing or a bad thing? We'll talk about it on today's show. Phone number 503-417-7575. Yeah, Friday's show was deeply cathartic for a lot of people. I think a lot of people were confused. A lot of people were venting. A lot of people were upset about um, what was going on you know, with their college football program and trying to figure out ultimately what it meant. Um, Stephen, i got to ask you a question. Like, How was your weekend? As you kind of absorbed everything that was going on. Yeah, I mean, it just, uh, you know, a little down, right? Like, thinking about the Pac-12, how everything's going, how it went down, just thinking, I felt bad for Oregon State and Oregon State's fans. Like, everything is going good on the field, Jonathan Smith getting it going, and now it seems like, well, they're, they may be left out. And it's just, it's one of those things where we talk about, you know, relegation and how, how good of an idea it is until it actually is here, and it happens, and Teams like UCF and BYU and Houston and Cincinnati, they got rele- they got elevated, and now these four other schools get relegated. It just it, it was tough. It's tough to think that way, um, and I, I you know I feel bad. I just felt bad for Oregon State and their fans. 
and I hope that uh, they can you know figure it out and they can land in a good spot, whatever that is, whatever's best for them, because you know you really enjoy it and you get to know and love that fan base and what they've done. And just I felt bad for him, John. I love the Pac-12. You always been around the Pac-12, been a Pac-12 fan, so it was a little, it was a little, uh, a little sad. I I was kind of absorbing it and kind of thinking about the the implications, I guess, or the impact of you know building a new stadium or renovating Reeser Stadium, the west side of the stadium, as Oregon State has, and then trying to figure out like you know is this a worst case scenario for Oregon State that you know they had finally had momentum. They uh, have uh, poured uh, a bunch of money into the renovation of uh, Research Stadium. Um, I, and then, you know, and now you are uh, seemingly looking at a scenario in which they might be relegated to the Mountain West Conference or some, some uh, reasonable facsimile that, re- that resembles the Mountain West Conference, if it's not the Mountain West Conference by name. And I kept thinking, like, that's the downside. Like, you know, you've just... Poured all this money into Reeser Stadium. You got a football program that's coming off a 10 win season. You got a football coach that you just absolutely love. And now you are looking up and you are going, hey, wait a minute. You've got a bunch of debt on the stadium. And I know Scott Barnes, the athletic director, says, hey, the stadium is a moneymaker. They're not concerned about it in that way. But uh, they have to be concerned about it today because uh, seemingly they're, they're leaving a conference where they were getting 35. $38 million in annual revenue from the conference as a distribution and the Mountain West Conference members are getting like $5 million. So you have like a $30 million problem if you're Oregon State for, with your bottom line and this is that's not going to be a fun thing if they have to face that. You know, there is a chance, like, you know, if you stay alongside Stanford and Cal because the name of the game right now, if you're Oregon State, the name of the game absolutely is survive in advance. It's you're not thinking 20 years out. Like, the Ducks were thinking 20 years out when they made their decision on on uh, on Friday, you know. And the Ducks were thinking about, hey, their future, trying to be part of major college football, trying to, uh, you know, stay as relevant as they possibly can, join the haves versus the have-nots. And, you know, they made a decision. There was a fork in the road, and Oregon took it. And the Oregon State fan has a very different decision. It's not a 20-year view if you're an Oregon State fan. It's like a two-year view. Like, you need to position yourself right now, if you're Oregon State, in a way that makes you as attractive as possible to other schools. You need to position yourself, if you're Oregon State, in a way that, you know, gives you flexibility two years from now if there's a better option available for you. Five years from now, better option available. You need to start thinking short-term first if you're Oregon State. Oregon didn't have to do that. Oregon had options available to it that others did not have. Oregon did what was best for itself. You can decide for yourself whether or not you blame Oregon for that, you're mad at Oregon for that, you're mad at Phil Knight for that, you're upset, you think it's selfish, you think you know they left Oregon State behind. Well, you, you can make that argument. Like You seriously can make that argument. But if you're making that argument, I think you're wasting bandwidth right now because what you need to be focused on if you're Oregon State is you need to be focused on get get busy living. Get busy trying to stay relevant. And the first thing I would try to do is stay shoulder-to-shoulder with Stanford and Cal. But, uh, you know, it appears today as Stanford and Cal are exploring the ACC that Oregon State and Washington State won't be candidates for the ACC unless there's a total implosion of that conference. And now you kind of understand why, you know, the Big 12 fans who were wishing and hoping, I thought, all along that the Pac-12 would implode. Really wishing and hoping, playing that game on social media and otherwise, 
wishing and hoping for it because they had been through this years ago when Texas and Oklahoma left their conference. They were facing extinction. They narrowly escaped it. The Pac-12 did not. I want to go to the phone lines, 503-417-7575. What is on your mind today? Uh, Robert Robbins, the Arizona president, gave us some context for what went down last Friday morning in his news conference. He uh, he had a news conference today. He and Dave Hickey, the uh, athletic director at the University of Arizona, both speaking to reporters today, talking a little bit about Looks like John may have a little bit of technical difficulties here, but uh, as he was touching on, you know, Arizona State, they went out and they were talking about what the deal was with the Pac-12. Um, and Michael Crow, the athletic director, he was talking about it as well, saying that it was a good deal and that they had a lot of interest in that deal, but it just didn't come to fruition. And they decided to, that the best opportunity for the Arizona State was to leave, to go to the Pac-12. Very interesting decisions here, I think, for these other four teams, Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, Stanford. It it, it does kind of matter. Like John is saying right there, John said, if you're Oregon State, you got to try to stay with Stanford. I think that's the right choice uh, to stay with Stanford because they have the most money and they are respected around the nation as a good academic school. Also, Stanford wins a lot of national titles in all the non-revenue sports, and I still think there is a spot in college sports for that direction and to stay with those type of schools. But Oregon State, there's been uh, reports out. Brett McMurphy, he has tweeted out that the Big 12, they have, quote-unquote, no appetite to add any of the Pac-4 schools or San Diego State. According to him, the quote was from a source, we have no interest in doing anything and that we're done and quote, so that, you know, it seems like Big 12 not going to be adding any of these schools. Oregon State, Stanford, Cal, Washington State going to have to add or uh, look for a different type of conference besides the Big 12. There are reports from On3 Sports that the American Athletic Conference has reached out to all four of the schools and has shown some type of interest. I think that's a little interesting as well, as the American has had success in the college football playoff. They've had success in the uh, college basketball. Houston made the Final Four a couple years ago. Of course, Cincinnati made the college football playoff. Both those teams have now left, gone to the Big 12. If the AAC comes calling, is that a spot for Oregon State? I find that very interesting as well. If Oregon State can continue with the momentum that they have, is there a chance to get back into one of the big conferences? That's one of the questions I have with Oregon State. How can you get back into a bigger conference? Is it possible? The momentum that they have is really good. Um, and I think the AAC is not a terrible spot for Oregon State. I think there's a lot of you know travel concerns and stuff like that. But Jude, I'll bring you in right now. You know, Oregon State they are in a tough spot, but it seems like they're gonna have to make a decision soon. If you're Oregon State or Oregon State fan, like what are you looking at right now, conference wise, where you would like to go? Yeah, it's it's no great options. And John will be back momentarily. He's just uh, do, doing a reboot, so he'll be here any moment again. Um, no great options if you're Oregon State, but you know, like John mentioned uh, a few moments ago, it's survive in advance time, man. Yeah, survive in advance time, like uh, you know any other any other program in America that has been left behind. The Big East Conference had an implosion years ago. Mike Oresco, who was the commissioner of the Big East Conference, told me he he understood what George Klyovkov was going through as uh, as he uh, you know sort of looked. Look at looked at the landscape and and look. Uh, I think if you're Oregon State, you're anxious right now. You're you're scared right now. And I and I can tell you, I may have some information on today's show. 
I may be able to lock down who they're talking with. I did. Uh, I do believe they're in contact with the Mountain West Conference. I don't know at this point if it is uh, if the uh, if the conversations are about adding teams to the Pac-12 Conference, merging with the Mountain West Conference. There happens to be the matter of that um, $34 million exit fee in the Mountain West Conference for all those members. It's, it's a bit of a hang-up. It could be problematic for the Pac-12 Conference to try to buy out multiple members because ideally, if you are, you know, if you're, if you're Oregon State, the ideal situation here is to stay in lockstep with Cal and Stanford in Washington State in the four holdover Pac-12 schools then go out and just look for six additions that can make the conference whole again. And, you know, those additions are not hard to think about. It's it's universities like SMU and Rice. It's San Diego State. Okay, that's three. We're halfway there. It's Colorado State. That's four. And this is where it starts to fall apart for me because after those four fall off, because it's a big fall off from like Colorado State to Boise State to UNLV, or to Boise State, and at that point, you're looking at Stanford, and Stanford's going, ah, uh, that's not for me. That's not the kind of conference that, that uh, I want to be part of. Um, I want to go to the phone lines. Uh, Jim is in Salem. Phone number is 503-417-7575. Um, Robert Robbins, again, the University of Arizona president, he talked about the media companies. He talked about you know the, the confidence level that the universities had. He explained what happened Friday morning. If we want to recap this again, uh, Robert Robbins, the Arizona president, talking about that meeting on Friday morning. I told you it came down to Oregon. I told you that Oregon was the linchpin. Here's Robert Robbins at his news conference today. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, look, we, we were, <laughs> I think we were all expecting Friday morning, we were showing up together to sign in blood uh, our grant of rights over to the, uh, to the Pac-12 conference. And, um, you know, we were notified uh, by, I, I guess they must have split us up. I, I got called by one of the presidents and said, look, this is tough, but we, um, we came to an agreement with the Big Ten, uh, you know, 10 minutes ago, and I just want to give you a heads up before we, we get together uh, as presidents and chancellors that we'll be, we'll be taking our talents to the Big Ten. Taking our talents to the Big Ten. A little bit of... A little bit of shade. Do you think he was throwing shade at Oregon and Washington by saying that? Do you think Robert Robbins was was putting it back on Oregon and Washington? I do a little bit um, because, you know, it, it did sound like, and you you were on top of this, it sounded like all these schools wanted to stay in the Pac-12. Like, yeah, they did. That, they did. Was, that was the thing. They wanted to stay, and they just didn't get the deal that they wanted. Klyovkov just didn't come through for them. And so I do think the fact that Oregon came out, you know, 10 minutes before the meeting and said, you know, we're, we're out of here, we're going to take it. And or and or Washington, whatever it was, I do think they're throwing a little shade at them and said, you know what, we were ready to stand pat and be strong and united, and they weren't. And I think maybe it might be a little PR battle as well. Like they sure. want, they want to look look good in the situation, but I do think it was, they threw a little shade at it. And I think that you know maybe going forward, they just uh, if they end up playing in a non conference game, maybe they'll be more hated at each other. Like I, I think there was some shade, but I also think that. It may just be, you know what, we had been flirting as well. We want to look good in the situation. We want to act like we didn't want to leave. Does it matter? Does it matter whose hands the blood is on? Because I keep thinking about that. Like, a lot of people want to put it on Oregon or Washington or Oregon and Washington. But I keep coming back to the fact that, like, Arizona, Arizona State, even as late as Wednesday, were at least in a flirtation 
with the Big 12. They were at least holding the Big 12 as a fallback option, which they now have seized upon. And I get what he's doing at this news conference. He's trying to come out and say, hey, look, you know, we were ready to sign. You know, we weren't going to break up 108 years of tradition. We were ready to sign. But but Oregon and Washington, 10 minutes before the meeting, and he even used the term sign in blood, 10 minutes before the meeting, Oregon and Washington informed the rest of the presidents, hey, you know what, we're not quite on board with this. Yeah, I, Let's, th- I was yeah. going to say, I think there is blood on a lot of people's hands. Like, I don't, I, it's hard to just blame it on one school or one team. I think it's, that you could make arguments for a lot of people I think there's more blood on Klyovkov's hands and then it is over Washington or Oregon. Like, I think the fact that he didn't do enough really hurt this conference. But I think you could also blame Arizona, Arizona State for flirting, like you said, with the Big 12. I think I think there's a lot of teams to blame in this situation. It's hard to just put it on one person. Let's go to the phone lines. 503-417-7575 is the number. Jim is in Salem. Jim, welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Well, first of all, thank you for being the only one to reply to my email yesterday. Uh, I really appreciate that you actually said something that made me feel you had my back. As an Oregon fan, I'm happy to take all the blame for for the, the death of the Pac-12 because that's all everybody could think about. But when someone tells me they're worried about travel, and I think about playing an 8 o'clock game in Pullman, Washington, where my team comes back at 6 o'clock in the morning and playing a game at 3 o'clock in the afternoon back in Wisconsin or Redford, and having my kids home at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, I, I feel travel's not an issue. Um, and I don't, if I'm going to blame people, I can spend, as you saw, I can spend a lot of time blaming people. But I look at Oregon State and the remodel, this last remodel, where Oregon State shrank its stadium and said, you put the writing on the wall that you have no real interest in investing in your program to bring fans in the Corvallis in the tune of 40,000, 45,000, 50,000. And that's money. I, you're putting too much stock into TV money and TV revenue that was up in the air. So yeah. I look at it from the standpoint but I, but that... But I, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, right. I hear what you're saying. I hear that you're saying that, you know, you're pushing back against the idea on the travel. I, I'm, not, I'm not even worried about football travel. Because what is football travel? Six games that you're playing maybe on the road? during the regular season. It's not the football travel that's going by charter six times a year that I'm concerned about when I talk about travel, because I do think there's a travel impact to all of this. The Michigan, one of the Michigan Board of Regents members had a great tweet thread over the weekend. He was talking about the fact that, you know, Ann Arbor, Michigan is closer to London than it is Eugene, Oregon. Like, it's a hike. That's a longer flight. And what the the, the regent was making the point, it's it's not football the one or two times every two or three years that Michigan would maybe come to Autzen Stadium, if that. I mean, it could end up being that Michigan plays at Autzen Stadium once every four or six years. I mean, it could be spread out that far when you start talking about 18 or maybe even 20 teams someday. You know, how often will they really play each other and then home and home? So... Looks like Gonzana's uh, internet got booted a little bit again. Uh, but we'll take a break at this point and we get, take your calls. Let's hang on the line here. 503-417-7575. We will work this out. Get John back on the air here. This is the Bald Face Truth Call-In. Get on the line now so you're ready when John comes back. 503-417-7575. This is the Bald Face Truth on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Bald Face Truth. Stephen Vaughn filling in for John right now. John, we'll be back. Just having a little bit of technical difficulties. We are getting those sorted out. 
If you want to get on the line, you got any questions for John, any comments, 503-417-7575. Get on the lines now. We'll get you ready for John. Uh, when he hooks back up here, some of the little problems there. We'll, we'll get it fixed out, and uh, John will be back. But we're just talking, of course, Pac-12, uh, kind of the news today. That uh, Stanford, Cal, they're trying to get into a new conference. Oregon State, Washington State, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. Uh, Stanford and Cal have you know, been approached a little bit by the ACC. Nothing official, nothing down with that, but trying to figure out where everybody's going here in the conference realignment. Uh, you know, I, For me, it's all about Oregon State, and maybe that's just being from Oregon. That's all I've been thinking about. But you know, John asked earlier what, his, what the thoughts were. Uh, this weekend for me, and it's just like sadness, right, Judah? Like, I know you were feeling the same way. Like, we talked about that a little bit before the show. And it's just, for me, I, I, it goes worst-case scenario of what could actually happen to the Oregon State program. And not saying if anything official, but it's just like, man, like, what? Just the ball that's rolling down the hill could be so bad going forward for Oregon State. And it's just sad because of all the women they have. Just, you know, how were you feeling about it this weekend? You know, just a couple days out of it, we finally kind of sunk in. How are you feeling with all uh, all the news coming down last week into this week? Yeah, not a whole lot better uh, <laughs> just because this is, you know, we're going to feel the the tentacles of this for a long time. Have you seen that movie, The Big Short? It's, you know, it's about the collapse of the economy in 07, the housing crisis. It feels like the end of that movie. At least that's how Friday felt, where it's like, oh, bleep, this is actually happening. And what I still don't fully understand is, Friday morning, waking up to reports from Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic, who reports, like legitimately reports, that talks overnight have cooled between Oregon, Washington, and the Big Ten. It's out there. Friday morning. It's out there. Pete Thamel of ESPN report, and he's been good on this stuff. He reports, as the Pac-12 Board of Regents meeting is happening Friday, he says, it is likely that Oregon stays in the Pac-12 conference. It's likely that they stay. That's what he said as the meeting was happening. And come to find out, that was all wrong. Because even before the meeting got started Friday, Oregon had accepted the Big Ten's invitation. And Robert Robbins, what I need to make sure I don't say Robin Roberts like I've been prone to do, but Robert Robbins said that in his press conference this morning, saying, hey, when we were showing up to that grant of rights meeting, we were showing up ready to sign the grant of rights. This is even after Arizona's reported Big 12 interest. Like, it is as clear as day that Oregon was the linchpin the whole time. Just like we hypothesized, you know, before Colorado and even after Colorado. Like, the conference was going to stay without Colorado if Oregon wanted to stay. And at the same time, you can't blame them for going either because if you kind of look at the terms of the Apple deal that have been coming out a little bit, about $23 million a year guaranteed, like that's $9 million less than the Big 12 is going to get after you've been promising a deal that was going to rival or surpass the Big 12 for quite some time. And, you know, for George Klyovkov, I keep coming back to the fact that he was trying to negotiate as, you know, representing the Pac-12 as someone in a position of uh, strength. But his conference was as weak as, as as anything. Like, I can't swear on the radio, obviously. But the conference was weak. It was not in a position of strength. So to negotiate from a position of strength, to put yourself out there for $50 million a year per school right out of the gate, to take 
kind of the high road with all these negotiations to try to come at, like, that is a severe miscalculation. And he basically raised the stakes in the negotiation process, like 10x, 20x, than what he needed to do in order to, A, be effective, and B, get a blankety-blank deal. And that's, you know, that's the problem. It really does. I agree. You've been talking to me off the air about this, and I've been being more and more convinced to your to your side of this on how much blame falls at the feet of George Klyovkov in this entire process. And you talk about the $50 billion, Like, it's okay to overvalue, overvalue yourself. Like, I think that's sure. very natural, especially in sports. You know, we overvalue our teams. We overvalue our players. We overvalue our coaches. And Klyovkov overvalued the conference. But at some point... He needed to come back to reality and say, you know what? Maybe we're not this 50 million per team conference. Like, that's fine. I tried. I shot for it. But he almost overshot it so much that any counteroffer he probably took as disrespect. And then he didn't want to, you know, negotiate with anything less than what he had in his mind. And then it came down to, well, nobody's going to give you that deal. And then he come up with the Apple deal. And, you know, by all accounts, it sounded like some of the people liked it. Uh, I'm going to play this this clip here. This is athletic director of Arizona State, Michael, or the president, Michael Crow of Arizona State. He was talking about the Apple deal and how intrigued he was. He thought it was a really good deal. And, you know, Arizona State was one of the schools that we talked about having flirting with the Big 12. But they were on board with the Apple deal, and they liked it. But th- and this is what he said. He didn't give out the numbers, you know, the figures and the money that was worth it. But he kind of talked about what exactly the deal was and how it really could help the Pac-12. And so along the way, what has happened uh, the last few days is that uh, we were offered a media contract by the Apple Corporation, which was a technological 23rd century Star Trek thing of really unbelievable capability that we were very interested in. ASU was very interested in digitization of all ASU football games, all men's basketball games and all women's basketball games in Instantly available anywhere in the world at a touch of the button from any device anywhere digitally then manipulable by the watcher both during the game and between games and between multiple games at the same time as well as usable by athletes for recruitment and so forth and so on after the games as an archived thing and so we thought that there was uh, some risk but huge opportunity so several of the schools were uh, committed to that but it created another destabilizing moment of sort of tradition versus versus this, this modern thing. So a lot of back and forth, the uh, Pac-12 uh, uh, council, the CEOs, the presidents and the chancellors met many times during the week uh, with a pivotal meeting yesterday that led to uh, ASU and others uh, joining the, um, the Big 12. I mean, Crow said it right there, Judah, like they were interested in the Apple TV deal and they liked the fact that anybody in the world with a touch of the button could watch the Pac-12. Now, it's also one of the things, well, how many people actually want to do that? Right, like who's gonna actually click on it? And that would have mattered a lot for the money wise. And so, if you're a team like Oregon, your school like Oregon, your school like Washington, your school even like Colorado, like it's hard to turn down the guaranteed money those over the conferences. But it's not as if you know the Pac-12 wasn't putting together a deal. They're putting together an innovative deal that hadn't been discussed by any other conferences, especially in college football. And we all have talked about this, like. At some point, it's going to all streaming. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be linear TV. It's going to be streaming TV. So it could have been where in 10 to 15 years, this deal is great. But right now, like if you're Oregon, and I get it, how can you turn down an average of $50 million a year for the next 10 years? And that's what Rob, um, was it Rob Mullins that said that, or was it the president? It was the uh, president, Carl, uh, Carl Schultz. Schultz. Carl yeah. Schultz said that. John Carl Schultz. John Carl Schultz. But I think he just goes by Carl Schultz. JC? JK. JK, that's right, JK. Which is even funnier. Yeah, I like that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he said $50 million a year 
average over 10 years. Like, it's hard to say no to that. And so I, I get where Oregon is coming from. It's just, and there's it, been a lot of bannering about whether yeah. or not that's actually factual from Carl Schultz it's about just, the 50 million a year. Like, ah, it's just too bad that yeah. you know they couldn't have figured out earlier the Apple deal with the linear TV. It sounded like right. Klyovkov went linear, didn't work out, and then he just trashed all the linear and said, "We're going all streaming." Well, that doesn't work either. You had to have ESPN had to have come in at the 11th hour and help out that Apple deal to to make it more palatable. And again, like I'll say, like a streaming deal on the face of it, like that's an innovative, cool deal. That an innovative conference like the Pac-12 fancied itself should do. Honestly, it makes all the sense in the world. Like, I would have signed up for it. You know, it would have done well, you know, as it matured. But the conference needed a lifeboat. And you're not making, like, a yacht. You know what I mean? Like, we were in desperate times. You don't do something, like, innovative when you just need a meal on your plate. You know what I mean? Like you got, you got to go where the food is. You can't create your own restaurant. And Klyovkov was trying to sell them on a new restaurant. And they're like, dude, we just got to eat, man. We just got to eat. You can't be doing this to us. And like, it's cool. I can tell the restaurant really looks cool. It probably will be in 10 to 15 years. I'm sure everybody that's eating right now eventually will own restaurants. <laughs> But we can't afford to do that right now. We need the guarantees. We need the security. And so for George, if George truly felt like it was a good deal, like it seems like all signs said he thought it was a good deal, then he really misunderstood who he was representing. He misunderstood his own conference. And I think it's that dis disconnect, that dissonance, that was extrapolated to extremes with all of this. Because those were the stakes, man. Those were the stakes, and he started from the wrong, you know, place. He started from the wrong premise. He got to a conclusion that made logical sense for him, but the premise itself was flawed, and that screwed the entire conference, man, and, and we have every right to be frustrated with him because he was the leader. He was supposed to be the savior of all this, and he fell on his face, and now we put him in the same bucket as Larry Bleep and Scott, who we thought we had survived. Bald-faced truth, Stephen Vaughn, Judy Newby, Right now, and for John, John having a little bit of technical difficulties. He will be back. Don't worry. We will get him back on here. Just having a little bit of, uh, I think, internet problems yeah, over there. He'll have a story to tell. He'll have a story. He'll have stories, as he always says. But he'll be here. <laughs> if you want to get on the line now, so when he comes back, he'll be coming back soon. 503-417-7575 to get John back on the air. Moment here. Can oh, I just drop here, into here the show? There you go. Hey, hey, do you mind if I join the show? I, I feel like we owe the listeners an explanation. Special yes. guest, John Canzano. <laughs> I, I feel like, I just feel like it's been that kind of week, month, couple of weeks, year for the Pac 12 and maybe listeners as well. But let me just fill you in in case I disappear again. Um, obviously, we have uh, refurbished the uh, home studio in the last uh, couple of weeks, and we are setting up maybe to do some video. And, uh, you know, I reached out to Comcast to Business, which has the Internet, uh, high-speed Internet that we use to, uh, to do the show. And, of course, they said, oh, you need one of our new... Uh, need one of our new modems. There was nothing wrong with the old modem. Can we just get clear on that? But they wanted to put a new modem in. The tech who came by about, uh, you know, I was supposed to, sh the you know, of course, they give you that window. You know, we're going to show up sometime between 1 and 3. Everybody knows that window. And, of course, at about 2.33, the tech shows up and says, and I said, the first question I had is he was, uh, 
coming into the studio was, how long is this going to take? I, you know, I have a show that starts at 3. He says 15 minutes. I said, great, nice guy, knew what he was doing. He was literally like a pit crew. He started uh, you know, unhooking the old modem, put the new modem in, got it going, did all the tests. You're good to go. This was, you know, finished it with about 10 minutes to spare before the show. And then, uh, of course, about three minutes before the show started, everything went dark. Like, the internet that, in an, and I have got three different, like, internet lines that are available. It's a case there's a backup behind the backup behind the backup. Problem being that they're all with Comcast Business. Well, they, they all simultaneously just shut off, like, three minutes before the show. I, I ran out to the front to see if the Comcast van was still out there. And it so happens it was. He was out there. He was finishing up his paperwork. And I said, hey, everything's dark. Everything went off. And he hustled back in. By the time he hustled back in, it was starting back up. And he said, oh, it's just doing, a, uh, it's doing an update of the, uh, of the uh, firmware that's on there. So he said, you know, this should just be it. It should just be one interruption. Obviously, in the first 20 minutes of the show, it is twice reset and done updates. So I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I don't even know if I'm here now. I don't know if you guys are there. Can you hear me? Like, are we still going? You're good. I, I can okay. hear you now, yeah. Okay. So I, you know how you, you have flashing lights and solid lights on the front of any modem or whatnot? I now have figured out which lights I need to look at. <laughs> and so as long as the lights are solid, I'm good. Because I had a couple of great takes where I was just ranting earlier i was on fire i was talking you know about the pac-12 and oregon state what they should do and here i am with a first world problem but i just want to let people know that if i do drop out it's not because i don't love you it's not because we aren't trying here it's because the uh apparently the internet is doing an update and i guess that happens and i guess i should have scheduled the appointment for earlier in the day if i wanted to make sure that uh we were going to be on air and be able to be fluid but he told me it would only do it once it's now done it three times, so I don't know. I don't know what to trust. I feel like I'm a Pac-12 president right now, kind of looking to my left, looking to my right, going, yeah. hey, what uh, what happens You're here? being told one thing, and then other things are happening behind your back. Is that what you're saying? I just feel like, it, you know, you know what's interesting? that Everybody keeps asking me what happened. That's not really the question I'm asking myself. What happened with the Pac-12? What went wrong? Who lied to who? You know, what's, you know what I keep thinking about is, I keep thinking about everything we have learned about people and especially about decision makers and leadership um, as it pertains to the last year or so of, uh, of the Pac-12. And I'll, go, I'll even go back to uh, the UCLA-USC decision and you know the Bruins deciding that um, they were going to uh, go off to the Big Ten Conference and all of us lamenting what a, what a horrendous backstabbing move that was. Uh, you know, a year ago or whatever. Um, but now we're kind of looking at it going, all right, what have we learned? All of these leaders, all of these people in positions of authority at these universities have two things in common. Number one, they appear to me to be very risk averse. They don't like risk. And so the decisions that they make are often um, rooted in what is the uh, least risky decision that we could make at this point. And then the second thing that they appear to me to do is they all appear to do what is obviously in the best interest of themselves and nobody else, not the collective good. And so even the presidents that are being a little bit high and mighty saying, you know what, we were 
willing to sign the grant of rights in blood on Friday morning. Even those presidents, they were willing to sign the grant of rights because it probably was in their best interest to sign the grant of rights. Oregon State and Washington State clearly, Stanford and Cal clearly, got left behind. Those four schools easily in that room, eager to sign. In fact, they would have signed it earlier. Uh, Right behind them, though, would have been the University of Utah. I think they were in the next least advantageous position because the Big 12 Conference already had uh, one member from the Salt Lake City market in BYU. Didn't necessarily as maybe some of the other markets. Uh, Again, everything is rooted in television. And so right behind them, uh, uh, right in front of them, rather, would have been uh, the Arizona schools. And then it would have been Washington, and then it would have been Oregon. Oregon needed the Pac-12 the least of anybody. And I was told really early on that left, it would be run for the hills. And it certainly did turn into that. It turned into run for the hills. And so the two things that I think these these so-called leaders did in the end was one, um, I think they were risk averse because I, I don't think they were willing to make any kind of bet other than the bet that um, they knew that they had, uh, that they could, uh, you know, like the ones that were saying, yeah, we were happy with the Pac-12's Apple deal were presidents largely that didn't have other options. And then in the end, uh, they just all kind of did what was best for themselves. I mean, it was kind of kind of human nature. And it was a really interesting kind of sociological experiment that's wrapped up uh, in between all that. So I'm really hopeful that in the end what we can find out is that Oregon State and Washington State ultimately won't get totally left behind. And I think that um, if you're a if you're a college football fan, you also have to be concerned that this isn't going to be it. Like there's going to be more consolidation. This isn't where it stops. And it right now appears that there will be like 40 schools in the top of college football and everybody else behind it. And it was largely dictated by what Fox wanted. All right. Coming up, we'll take some phone calls. We'll play some punch at audio. Top of the hour. We've got Austin Meek coming up. But before that, can I take a quick call? Roy's been holding patiently. Can I bring Roy on? Roy, Roy, you've been holding. Go ahead, Roy. Hey, John. Hey, John, man. This is uh, over the weekend, man. I was talking to people in the uh, – I know in the Big Ten Conference, uh, uh, you know, uh, fans, people, a couple people that work in it, and none of them are happy about this. I mean, this is the one move I think – you got Pete Carroll out here complaining about this. you got – the Board of Regents of Michigan complaining about it. You got Eli Drinkowitz complaining. I mean, this is just, and people talk about the travel. Like, football will be fine traveling. That's not the issue. Football will be, it's one game a week. Uh, that's fine. The other sports, I don't know how possibly you can make this work. I, I just don't know. Are you going to cut sports now? Because it just it's just not feasible. I don't care how much you make, money you're making. And, 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 Oregon and Washington, they're not even getting a full share. It's kind of like the Big Ten really didn't want to do it, but kind of had to do it. But So if we're going to do it, you're going to come in at half what USC and UCLA is getting. You're not going to get a full share. But, you know, you're like the stepchild, and uh, in 10 years maybe we'll make, let you be a full member. I mean, I, I, I just – I mean, I, I really don't get it. I don't understand why, why – um, you know, this is the this is the first time when I'm really kind of turned off by yeah. college football. It, I mean, it's really kind of like, man, this is just it, this is the one move I think that was just 
everybody is feeling some type of way about this. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, you know, uh, the, you just destroyed a conference and, 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 and for what? You know, I, I you know, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. To me, it doesn't make sense for the other sports. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know. Yeah, and here's the other thing, Roy. I think that part of this might be rooted in the fact that the colleges know that they're going to have to pay athletes at some point, and so they're. I think they really are. I do think the top forty or fifty schools are absolutely going to make money. They're going to make loads of money. They're going to have a nice TV deal. Um, you're going to have a lot of other schools, you know, down in the second division of college football, not the major conferences, that are going to have to make decisions on whether or not they can field programs and field teams. I mean, they are killing college athletics as we know it. All right, more coming up. Leave it here. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. I don't normally uh, complain about technical issues, but it uh, it does appear like we uh, we are connected and uh, the studio is uh, firing up. But I apologize earlier if I got cut off and uh, you missed out on my rant. I guess uh, I just was here alone in the studio with myself. Uh, uh, I want your phone calls. I want to talk about conference realignment. I want to talk about uh, expansion. I want to talk about how you think Oregon's going to fare in the Big Ten Conference. How will the Ducks do? Will they matter in the Big Ten in the same way that they have mattered in the Pac-12 in the last couple of years? And if you're an Oregon fan, you know, do you like you may be simultaneously because I think emotions are complex. Like I think you, I do think you're like people keep saying like Oregon fan, how do you feel about your team being in the conference? Is one thing. Oregon fan, how do you feel about the death of the Pac-12 conference is another thing. I would love to know, like, if Oregon fans are simultaneously like, hey, this is great, going to be in the Big Ten, got to find out if we can matter on the big stage. It'll be cool to see Penn State and Michigan uh, occasionally come to Autzen Stadium. And then beyond that, um, are you also mourning a little bit the loss of history, the loss of tradition? I grew up in the Bay Area. I wasn't a Stanford fan, but I went to Stanford Stadium a few times. I remember the smell of the eucalyptus trees in the parking lot, throwing the football around, going into the stadium, seeing a college football game. I had a Cal jacket when I was a freshman in high school. My aunt went to Cal. She was there in the late 1950s and uh, when Joe Cap was at quarterback for the Bears. And so I had always grown up around Cal football or hearing of Cal football. She's a huge sports fan. And uh, my Aunt Marlene, and uh, she saw me wearing that cow jacket. She was thrilled, like, oh, this is awesome. You get it. You're a Pac-12 fan. I had Charles White, the USC running back, uh, 1979. Charles White, running back, great running back at USC. Um, You know, I had a poster of Charles White on on the wall of my bedroom. I had John Elway's poster. I was a Pac-12 guy, Pac-12 kid. So there's part of me in watching this conference just splinter in a million pieces that that is heartbroken for the history of the conference. Simultaneously, I know logically where college football is going. I know logically that the Oregon Ducks are going, hey, in 20 years, this thing is going to be unrecognizable. It's going to look like the NFL. There's going to be two divisions, and the Big Ten is likely to be one of those two divisions. The SEC is going to be the other one. One will be funded by Fox. One, The other will be funded by ESPN. It's not very hard for me to see that. You know, and and frankly, all of it will be streaming, which will be the great irony. But in the interim, 
I'm left looking at it and I'm going, gosh, it's really sad that in the in the in the name of getting TV money and getting to a system that is very consolidated, um, that a a conference like the Pac-12 just got steamrolled. And I understand why. It was bad leadership. It was Larry Scott. It was George Kavkoff. It was the presidents and chancellors. We can point all the fingers in the world at those entities. I understand why. But the bigger reason why, if we're going to be real with each other, is the fact that, that the Pacific time zone, and athletics in, in particular in the Pacific time zone, don't seem to matter to the rest of the country. We get a lot of disrespect. We And I know it being here in the Pacific Northwest. Look, I, I came to this state in, in 2002 working for a newspaper. You know that. I've been at five other newspapers before that. I had numerous other newspapers around the country who offered me jobs that I turned down. Always, as part of their pitch, was, but you're stuck there in the Pacific Northwest where no one can see you. You don't get the exposure that you can get. You could get so much more exposure with us. And I just kind of shook my head at it because I'd been to other parts of the country. I'd lived in Florida. I'd lived in the Midwest. And I was like, yeah, I, I like it here. I see what the people here see. That's why I'm here still. But I know the disrespect that the rest of the country has for the Pacific Northwest and for the Pacific time zone in general. And I think it was on display in the last couple of weeks. All right, Austin Meek writes for The Athletic. He covers Michigan. He has the great experience and perspective of covering Oregon football before that. He's going to join us next to talk about what he thinks of this move to the Midwest. Well, we've been getting a lot of perspective from the Pacific Northwest. Oregon fans, Oregon State fans, my perspective. A lot of perspective within the Pac-12 footprint about what went down on Friday. If you're just waking up from a coma, the Pac-12 is now the Pac-4. If you're just coming out of the mountains, I had a friend who was in the mountains on Thursday and Friday, texted me on Sunday when he was getting back in cell phone range. He said, what the? Yeah. Yeah. That happened. It's it's hit me at uh, various stages of the weekend that we've lost history. We've lost tradition. I think the rivalry between Oregon State and Oregon, Washington, Washington State will never be the same. I don't know if the schools will be able to play each other. If so, when? Week three? And given that there's a bunch of non-conference games on the football schedule, uh, will they be able to get those games in in the foreseeable future? I don't know. But I want a perspective outside in. And so we go to the uh, great state of Michigan, where Austin Meek, formerly of the Eugene Register Guard, fine sports columnist there. He's now at The Athletic doing his thing. He's joining us live via satellite. How did this go down in your world, Meek? Well, I was um, I was actually shooting a video project on Thursday with the athletic. We had some people in town, uh, you know, and I'm on my phone. I'm starting to see some stuff coming in, and uh, one of our one of my coworkers uh, was on the line with some people at Michigan. Um, you know, I, I was just kind of, I was stunned like everybody else. You know, I thought, I thought Big Ten expansion was in the rear view mirror. I mean, we've been doing, you know, all, all of this reporting about what's it going to look like in the Big Ten when USC and UCLA join the league. I, you know, the scheduling thing, like I think back of all the time we spent, all the stories we wrote about the scheduling model for the Big Ten, and they just threw it out the window in like two days. So it's just crazy how fast things can change. The, you know, the uh, sentiment out here obviously was, you know, met with 
enthusiasm from some Duck fans who were excited about the competition in the Big Ten, some disappointment with Oregon State fans as they feel left behind, also uh, a general loss of tradition and history. Um, you know, you have already been on the other side of this in the Big Ten. What was the reaction maybe in the Michigan community to, to maybe playing games in Eugene and playing games in Seattle? I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure how much it registered out here. Like, I didn't hear a lot of people out here really talking about it. I mean, it registered with me, obviously, because I had the the history and knew so many people back in Oregon and uh, understood exactly what it would mean for the Oregon Oregon State rivalry and all that. But people out here, Michigan fans, like, I just don't know how much it's on their radar. Um, they care about Ohio State. You know, they care about winning the Big Ten. They're thinking about trying to win a national championship this year. Um, you know, if they're going to play a game in Eugene, Oregon in 2025 or whatever, like, you know, I, I, I don't get the sense that it's that big a deal to them. And frankly, I think that's one of the sad parts about it is it affects so many people so much. Uh, you know, fans in, in Oregon, fans of Oregon State, um, you know, this is like a life-altering thing. And for the Big Ten, it's just kind of like, well, should we add them? Yeah, why not? You know, it's, 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 not a, it's not a big deal for the Big Ten, but it's a big deal for a lot of fans. Austin Make of The Athletic. The quality of competition. You know what Oregon football is. You covered it. Can Oregon compete on a week-in, week-out basis in the Big Ten? Um, how much more difficult will it be versus the Pac-12 in your mind? I think they can compete. I mean, I watched them go into Columbus and, and beat Ohio State. I've, I've seen Oregon you know, beat Michigan State. I, I think that they can play with Big Ten teams. I, I think it'll be a challenge to do it week in and week out. I think it'll be a challenge to do it on the road in November. I think it will be a challenge from a resource standpoint in terms of you know, Michigan's got a 110,000-seat stadium. They basically get a million dollars every time they have a home game. Oregon Stadium is, is half that size, and Oregon's coming in at a, a half of a revenue share. So in terms of the resources, even though it, it's a better situation than what was on the table for Oregon, they're going to be at a disadvantage in some ways to the other teams in the Big Ten. But I, I, I do think Oregon can compete. You know, you look at the bottom of the Big Ten, not very good. Rutgers, Indiana, Northwestern, um, Oregon's performing at a significantly higher level than that and i think they can at least be a you know in the second tier of, of big 10 teams if not maybe challenge for the top you, you mentioned something that that caught my ear that you know you thought expansion was done is that because there was no appetite for it or it had just gone quiet for a while or what what led you there yeah i think there was a sense that if the big 10 really wanted washington and oregon they could have had them when they took USC and UCLA and they they did the math at that point in time and said we want the LA schools and and we're done and then things start to happen again and Colorado leaves the Pac-12 and all of a sudden things are destabilized and Oregon and and Washington are willing to come in you know in financial terms that are advantageous for the Big Ten and it was just a sense of well we we can do it so let's do it um and that, that was just not a place I expected things to end up, at least not right now. You know, maybe eventually if you'd ask me, hey, five years down the road, could you see Oregon in, in the Big Ten? I would have said, yeah, I could see it. But I didn't, I didn't think it was going to happen this time around. I thought they were done with just adding the L.A. schools. Happened very quickly. Austin Meek with us of The Athletic. What's happening to college athletics in your mind? You know, I, I think that college football – 
is undergoing a lot of the changes that you know we're seeing in a lot of other um, a lot of other aspects of certainly the media environment. I mean, I wrote about this a little bit in my column, and you know, John, you know how this works. Like in the media environment now, everything is determined by your audience size. You know, what what kind of audience can you capture? And that's true. You know, for me and the writing that I do, and for you, and true if you're a college football team too. It, it's all about you know what kind of audience can you create for your content, um, and I think that that's taken college football to a to a pretty weird place where you know it's really only the teams at the top with the with the biggest demand and the biggest audiences now that are going to have a place in this new structure. And you know, to me, that's a little bit sad. You know, I look around college football and. You know, even a decade ago, when I got to Eugene, there were these you know thriving regional brands. You know, the the Pac-12 for all the you know all of the things that you've written about extensively, and that I remember with the Pac-10. You know, the various missteps they've made along the way. Pac-10 football was fun. I thought it was fun. I liked going to Pullman. I liked going to Corvallis. I liked going to the Bay Area. You know, it was a brand that was different from the Big Ten brands different from the SEC. You know, it, it had its own little niche there. Uh, but in this environment, like, it's not enough just to have your own little niche. Like, you have to be, you know, scalable. You have to have a mass audience. And it wasn't there to sustain it for the for the Pac-12, you know, certainly aided by a lot of mistakes along the way by leaders in the Pac-12. Um, and so now we're ending up in a place where a conference that had been viable for as long as Oregon had been in it now is is not going to exist in the way that we're all used to. And I think that's kind of a sad thing. I'm looking at TV, Austin, and I'm wondering about the influence of Fox before them ESPN. Uh, I don't like it. I understand why it's necessary. I understand they're paying the bills, but I don't like how driven by television all of this consolidation feels. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't like it either. It feels like college football now has become, you know, a sport, for the for the people who sit and watch it on TV, um, and look, I watch football on TV. No, no, uh, you know, I'm not looking down on that at all. But I also know that you know what made college football the sport that we all know and love is not just the people who sit and watch it on TV. It's the people who go to the games. It's it's the people who you see in the parking lot, the tailgate. Um, you know, the diehard fans that you know have been part of these rivalries for years. Um, you know, I'm sure that Oregon playing Michigan is going to look great on TV. I'm going to watch it. You're going to watch it. We're all going to watch it, right? Um, but when it's just a sport to be consumed on your screen instead of a sport that you go out and experience, uh, you know, with your neighbors and, you know, the people you went to school with and all of that, like it's just a, it's a different sport. Um, and I, I feel the same way. You know, it's, it's sad to me the amount of influence that, that the TV networks have over the, over the sport, but it really is true. Like we're all in the uh, content creation business now, whether you're writing articles or, or playing football, it's just it's content that somebody's going to try to find a way to make money on. Yeah. And I think as you, uh, as you look at the landscape, I, I think there's further consolidation down the line. Austin make of the athletic is with us. Focus on Michigan um, state of the union, Jim Harbaugh's program, uh, this season, the expectations. What are, what are you looking at? What are people talking about there? 
you know, at Michigan, they're talking about, can this team win a national championship? And there are a lot of people who feel like it can. Uh, certainly a lot of people in Michigan's building who feel like that's possible. It's really been the, the mission statement for this team since Blake Corum announced he was coming back, running back, who was in the Heisman Trophy conversation until he got hurt late in the year. J.J. McCarthy's back at quarterback. They've got a lot of pieces back on defense. And this really is lining up for Michigan to be, I think, their best chance to win a national championship since the last one they won in 1997. Uh, There's still, I think, a, a significant talent gap between Michigan and Georgia and, and the teams that have been at the top. Um, but I also have seen enough from Michigan, including two wins against Ohio State teams that were really talented, to think that, that this program can close a talent gap on the field. So I, I, I think this is going to be a really fascinating Michigan season, in part because Jim Harbaugh might not be on the sideline for the first month. He may be suspended, so that adds another wrinkle to it. Yeah, and I think you know, everybody always thinks about Michigan, thinks about what a power they are, and then you know we watch and and you know Ohio State and Michigan, we see them as the faces of the Big Ten conference. Um, you know how how frustrating is it for Michigan fans to not get a payoff, to not get a national championship uh, in, or an appearance in the title game, or maybe the way that the season ended a year ago. You know, high expectations, Pac-12 teams would be thrilled to make it as far as Michigan did, but are the expectations championship or bust now? I think Michigan got their payoff when they beat Ohio State in 2021 and then when they beat them again last year and won the Big Ten. I mean, that was, for Michigan fans, you know, going back to, like, the Bo Schembechler era, Bo Schembechler never won a national championship. But he's got a statue in front of the building, and the reason he's got a statue is because he won the Big Ten and he beat Ohio State. And those are really the first two things at Michigan. If you're going to succeed as a Michigan coach, if you do those two things, man, you're you're in the clear. Now, there's a lot of fans who feel like, okay, we've been there, we've done that, we we broke the losing streak against Ohio State, we got to the playoff, now we want to take that next step. Uh, and that's been the message from the team, definitely, is they feel like, you know, we've lost the last two years in the in the semifinals of the college football playoff, and now it's our time to go win the thing. Uh, that's really been the been the rallying cry for this team. But I got to tell you, for all of that being said, if Michigan beats Ohio State again and wins the Big Ten again, I don't think there's many people around here that are going to say that season is a failure, even though I do think the expectations are higher. Austin Meek of the Athletic is with us. Um, you know. The the USC arrival in the Big Ten was probably the subject of a lot of conversation, at least in our footprint, over the last year. Now you have four schools going there. Any sense on how the conference, you know, as they will reschedule or realign the schedule or redo the schedule yet another time, any sense on how often we might get to see Austin Meek and Eugene? Like how often would Michigan end up at Autzen Stadium in your mind? Well, if it was up to me, I'd do it every year. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think <laughs> they're going to give me a vote on that. Uh, I, man, I'd love to get back to Eugene as soon as I possibly can. Uh, you know, I think I think that it is possible with this schedule. That, again, they just spent like months and months working on the scheduling alignment that now they're going to have to change. But I think that there is a way where they could tweak it uh, and make sure that the, the incoming Pac-12 schools are playing each other on a regular basis and then move a few games around. Um, so I, I am going to guess that it's not like a drastic change to the schedule, 
Uh, Michigan's schedule has been announced for 2024 and 2025. I believe that they are supposed to play at USC in 2024, and UCLA is supposed to come to Ann Arbor uh, in 2024. Whether they get either Oregon or Washington on the schedule, I don't know. Um, but I don't expect it just to tear up the whole schedule and start over because that would just be way too much work. I mean, it took them a long time to get to this. So I'm, I think they're going to try to integrate the, the two new schools with as little disruption as they can. Austin Meek of The Athletic covers Michigan. Hey, I appreciate you making time for us. And, uh, you know, I know that there are a lot of people that read you at the Eugene Register Guard that continue to read you in The Athletics. But uh, I'll be seeing you in a press box, it looks like. I, I told Chip Kelly this me. Meek, I, on Media Day, Pac-12 Media Day, I said to Chip, I was a little wispy. This was going to be our last one-on-one. And he says, no, it doesn't have to be. Come to Big Ten Media Day. I got a text from him over the weekend saying, you know what, I didn't want to be right this way. Um, you know, yeah. as, as Oregon now yeah. will be at Big Ten Media Day. <laughs> yeah, well, it's only a matter of time uh, before we're all somehow in the same room together. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Uh, it's going to take us a little while to get there, but a few years from now, I have a feeling uh, that one way or another, we're all going to end up in the same place. Whether that's good news or bad news, I don't know. But hey, there's always a silver lining, uh, and for me, that silver lining is I get to uh, see some some people from back in Oregon and catch up with some people. So that that's a good thing for me. Amen to that. Austin Meek, uh, always looking for the bright side. Thank you, my friend. There he is checking in from Ann Arbor, Michigan, where it didn't make that big a news on Friday. It was everything here. Like, people went bananas watching what went down with the Ducks and the Beavers and now all eyes on Stanford and Cal and the meetings that the ACC is holding internally. Will the ACC expand by two? Would they expand by four? Would they take the four remaining Pac-12 teams or just two? Right now, if you're Oregon State and Washington State, I think you have to have a very solid contingency plan in the event that Stanford and Cal run for the hills like everybody else did. Um, I said it uh, over the weekend to numerous people. I'm going to tell you this. There are no friendships. The friendships ended. Friday? Oregon's, you know, the news release goes out, Oregon and Washington say, hey, we still want to play our in-state rival, you know, uh, that they just left behind. Like, you know, I don't blame Oregon and Washington for doing what they did. I really don't. Like, I'm not one of these people, because there are a lot out there who are saying Oregon should have done what was best for everybody else. They, Oregon had a, had a fiduciary duty to do what was best for itself. I don't like it. It's not what I would have done, but they had a fiduciary duty to do it. In the end, though, I think if you're Oregon State, you realize, like, hey, man, uh, you know, they didn't love us after all. And if you're Washington State, you're looking over at Washington going, hey, I get it. I get it. We're rivals, Apple Cup, all that. But in the end, if it comes down to uh, you or me, it's you. You know, that's who you're picking. But, but all of these schools are doing that. And I think Meek's right. I think we're all going to end up in the same room. I think it's all going to be one big... You know, everybody's under the same umbrella. How many teams are in it? 40-ish. You know, I kind of wonder what's going to happen to schools like Rutgers. Okay, they're in the Big Ten for now. But what happens to a school like Rutgers if ultimately consolidation keeps going down, down, down? You know, does a school like Rutgers have to pick and decide, like, does it matter? Does it fit? You know, what are the top 40 schools? Like, if we look at the, you know, just the top 25 year in and year out, those schools all in, 
and then maybe another 15 schools get to be part of major college football, and the rest get what? Get left out? Get put on the street? I don't know. Um, it'll be something. You know, the competition, I, I love the callers on the show because because I went back and I listened to Friday's show in its entirety over the weekend. I thought it was a terrific show that largely was driven by callers. And it was like one caller would be really excited for Oregon getting to the Big Ten, and then the next caller really upset that Oregon State got left behind, and then the next caller just lamenting the loss of tradition and history, and then the next caller talking about, you know, the the big picture 20 years from now, and then the next caller, it was just it was just such an amalgam of emotion and feelings, and I thought it was very authentic because it just captured sort of the feelings that are going on out there right now. Like, but, but let me ask you this. If you were in Oregon's position, come last Friday morning, and you have the option of choosing the Pac-12 conference in an Apple TV deal that would have given you a guarantee of $23 million a year with some additional upside that could have got you up around 30 if everything went well from a subscription-based standpoint. And the alternative was go to the Big Ten, get an average of $35 million a year, and know that you're going to be in the place where football's going. It's all going that direction. And you're going to arrive there in a timely, guaranteed fashion. So as not to be left out. What would you do? 503-417-7575. I want your phone call. I'm starting to trust the technology. Here I am, Steven. Still here. Sound good? Am I a fool to trust the technology? Maybe a little bit, but you know what? <laughs> what else you got? You got no other choices. This is what you got to do. People don't understand. Like uh, it, it. It's a simple thing, but you know, I always like. I almost I had a friend who texted me and I said, "Hey, I'm sitting here waiting for the modem to reboot because it knocked the radio show offline." He said, "Why don't you just go down to Starbucks, do the show from there? <laughs> Might as well. Might as well do it. Might as well, yeah." Uh, we got to go to the phone lines. I want to hear from you. What do you make of Oregon's decision to go to the Big Ten? What does Oregon State do now? I have some thoughts on that. I'm told by a source at Oregon State that Oregon State has lots of lines in the water, meaning they're trying. They're trying to get somewhere. They're trying to ensure their future. They're trying to do what's best for themselves, and they should. Mike is in Centralia. The phone number is 503-417-7575. Mike. What's on your mind? Hey, John. First things first, love your show. think you guys are doing a great job. Um, here's my concern. We're getting half the cut, Oregon and Washington. We're getting half the cut that USC's getting and UCLA and the rest of the schools. What's, that, what, what's to say we're not going to fall behind with that? Because you got five years, and then we know it's going to get all mixed up again. Yep. Yeah, Oregon and Washington both got great facilities. Uh, you guys got night. Washington's got the tie, but you're still not getting all that money. And when it comes down to it, it's all about money and uh, NIL. So kids are still going to go want to go to these other schools rather than Oregon or Washington. Why, why are they going to come play for us when they can go somewhere else and get more money on the NIL? So I think they're taking a big chance rolling the dice. I know they did what they had to do, um, but let's hope that Oregon and Washington don't fall backwards on this and again a lot of duck fans out there i know you guys got the brand and washington's got the history 
but we're taking a big chance doing this. It's not going to be a, a, a walk in the park playing Ohio and um, Michigan and even Iowa and Purdue. It's going to be a grind and the travel and the grind. It is, it's no cakewalk. And my big concern, again, not to repeat myself, is us falling backwards rather than moving forwards because of the, um, the money that we're not going to be receiving. I'll yeah. take comments off the air. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, look, I think Oregon has the great equalizer. It's Phil Knight. And you better believe that Oregon does not make the decision it made on Friday without Phil Knight signing off on it. He, you know, he had to. He, you know, he doesn't, maybe maybe he's not the face of the vote. He's not the person casting the vote. But you know, Oregon doesn't go, yes, we're accepting the Big Ten invitation without Phil Knight going, I'm good with that. Now, I, just, I got this great quote one time from Pat Kilkenny. Longtime Oregon booster. Yeah, the guy himself is a, a successful entrepreneur, wildly successful businessman and uh, investor. And, you know, he's probably the number two booster at Oregon. I asked Pat Kilkenny what he thought made Phil Knight successful. And Kilkenny said, I have the ability, speaking of himself, I have the ability to, uh, to see some things in the distance as a business person and entrepreneur. He said Phil Knight sees around the corner. Really what he was getting at was Phil Knight being able to see what's next, what's happening 20 years from now. Do you trust that a little bit? Because I do. Because I go back to the guy who was selling the sneakers out of his trunk in Eugene, Oregon, who built that into the global power that Nike is, and I go, yeah, I think that guy has some sense and maybe some vision on what's going on. He's a visionary. It's what he is. So I do think the great equalizer of Phil Knight, his wealth, whatever sort of uh, fund that he has set up for Oregon to draft off after his passing, he's 85. I think the Oregon will be fine. But remember, I told you on Thursday last week that Washington would not jump without Oregon. I think the bigger risk is to Washington. I think Washington has bigger questions. Washington financially was not winning in the in the Pac-12. But the Tyee Club was doing a good job, adequate job, by my major college standards. But it wasn't like the phone call that Rob Mullins, the AD at Oregon, can make to Phil Knight to make everything better in the event that you have a shortfall. You know, it, it takes 40 calls or 400 calls to, to, get you, uh, to get you even there. Let's go to the phones. Josh is in Vancouver. Josh, what's up, man? Hey, John, thanks for taking the call. I hope you had a weekend and the boys had a weekend uh, to recharge your batteries uh, since we got a little finality to some of this stuff. I mean, I know there's a bunch of unanswered questions still, but it, but at least it seems like we're, we're readily moving more to a conclusion for everybody that with a clearer picture for now, uh, and I only say that temporarily. Uh, just as a reminder, a uh, huge Duck fan here. Uh, but with that being said, I kind—I don't know, man. I, I, you know, I went into the weekend feeling sick to my stomach. I come out of the weekend feeling sick to my stomach. This is weird. It, it's this feels like a breakup with like somebody that you you were really in love with, but you but you know maybe the situation wasn't good for you, and so you're kind of not over it. So you have all these thoughts in your head where you're you're questioning like, is is, is this really the right move? Okay, now we've cut ties and it's. We're moving forward, but are we doing the right thing? And uh, <clears throat> I just think that this is 
this is all a super interesting uh, situation that we're in right now. But at the end of the day, I think Oregon did the right thing. Uh, and here's why. I think that Oregon would have made the money on the Apple deal. I think Washington and Utah make the money on the Apple deal. To the Big 12's credit and Brett Yormark's credit for being ultra-aggressive, and I think he'll continue to be ultra-aggressive, I think that he is the thing that is that would have continued to create destabilization in the Pac-12. And if the other four corner Pac-12 schools would not have been making the money on subscriptions, I think two years from now or three years from now, Brett Yormark is, is laying in the weeds waiting, and he's just waiting for the opportunity to jump and destabilize the Pac-12 again. And I think ultimately that's why Oregon made the decision they did. I think that's why Washington made the decision that they did. This wasn't about the Apple deal. This wasn't about today. But this was definitely about what happens in three years, what happens in five years when the money's not there, not just this time, John, but again. Not this time, but again. Because this would be the second meteorites deal in a row that has been a complete flop and didn't pay everybody what they were expecting, and it was what it was. So I can't fault Oregon for doing what it's doing, but, man, like I just, it, I still doesn't feel good. Yeah. Anyways, have a good yeah. Monday, bud. Yeah, I'm in the same position. Like, I don't begrudge Oregon. I don't. I think I think it's a, that would be a very easy position to do, and it would be very easy to point the finger at Oregon and say it's their fault. But I, there were some other factors in play, and the caller hit on, you know, the Apple deal. Um, Dr. Robert Robbins at the University of Arizona talking about the Apple deal and why he thought it was intriguing. Yeah, the, I, I think the Apple thing was very intriguing, uh, I, and and the the student athletes they were you know if you go and look at what happens with uh, MLS right now, um, you know it was described to me the the technology and you can imagine Apple being involved. The technology was uh, state of the art and the best and forward looking. So when a when a player comes off the the field, um, you know they're given a file to download to their device and send out to their social media uh, account about all their highlights of that game. I mean I don't know how you get that now. You're lucky that uh, well we 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 video all the games, but are the players really going in and putting together their own highlight reels? So parts of it were very very compelling and exciting. And it was Apple. Um, and it was, you know, in, in our backyard. Yeah, in our backyard, meaning in the Pac-12's backyard. Robbins went on to say that the downfall of the Apple deal became evident to some of the members. I think the, the base price, the guaranteed price, the fact that there was no linear and that it was subscription-based, none of us, you know, we were trying to think, well, it's going to be like, selling uh, you know candy bars for little league or you know girl scout cookies uh, I don't know if girl scout cookies or, or you can say that anymore but um, you get my point you've got to convince three to five million people every year to sign up for a hundred dollars a year to watch uh, on a streaming only app I think I think you know if you're asking Oregon and Washington they they came to uh, the conclusion that 
that may not be the best deal. And when, when they had opportunities for other deals, I think, again, not blaming anybody, they made the best decision that they thought was in the interest of their university. And I, I will never fault anybody for doing that. Robert Robbins, the Arizona president, uh, he and I played a clip earlier. He did say, did confirm what uh, I reported on this show on Friday, that uh, the nine remaining members of the conference all expected the, to be in that meeting, and uh, only seven ended up there ready and willing to sign a grant of rights. Hey, I and, got a question yeah. about this whole the whole timeline here, because... Yep. It was a it was a roller coaster. Nicole Auerbach, remember she tweeted at six twenty eight that Oregon and Washington's exit from the Pac twelve to the Big Ten appears to have lost momentum, and that was only a half hour before the meeting. But then we hear, you know, ten minutes before the meeting as well that Oregon and Washington were going to be out, and they knew that. So what, like, how could it be reported that a half hour before that they they lost all this momentum, and then it seems as if they were staying in the Pac-12, then 20 minutes later, no, they had already decided they were out. Is it just a miscommunication in the sources of what it was, or is there something that actually happened in between those 20 minutes that helped decide it for Oregon and Washington? Well, I think you're you're talking about the fact that seven presidents... Let, let me just play... Let me play the, Ro- the Robbins clip again, where he talked about what he expected, because I think it helps explain it. You have nine conference members who were left... You have nine members left after Colorado, uh, you know, left the conference. Arizona and Arizona State had engaged with the Big 12 on Tuesday and Wednesday. They saw the media rights numbers. Um, they were digesting them, trying to figure out what the deal was. And, you know, they had the Thursday night meeting. And, you know, Nicole Arbach, you know, tweets out that, you know, it looked like they were going to have a deal Friday morning. But part of it is that I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to explain what happened without outing sources. But I'll tell you this. I was in contact with multiple presidents of the Pac-12 conference throughout this entire thing. And I thought it was really funny that some of the trolls on Twitter were like, oh, you're talking to Oregon State's president, or oh, you're talking to only Washington State's president. I was talking to presidents in their footprint. I was talking to presidents who have left the conference. You know, I was all along, I was being told, that they felt unified, they felt engaged, and I think they did until they saw numbers. Then they huddled up privately, and then they started going, okay, what are our fallback options? What options do we have? But I think it was clear by Thursday night, Stephen, that Arizona State and Arizona were staying. They were staying in the conference. I was told even on Thursday morning they were staying, which was why I said to you, pay attention to the Regents meeting at 6 o'clock. If no news comes out of it, it's good news. Because I felt like if Arizona and Arizona State were going to pivot, if they were going to pull a 180 and say, hey, we're leaving, it was going to be announced after that 6 p.m. meeting. But what I think Arizona and Arizona State did is they pointed to Oregon and Washington and said, if you're in, we're in. And I had a source at Oregon who told me that it was the equivalent of a bunch of people trying to trust each other with guns pointed at each other underneath the table. Because Arizona State, Arizona also had, you know, the option to go to the Big 12, and they knew that was looming in the background. The Big 12 wanted them bad. And I think what happened is that Arizona, Arizona State said, we're back in, we're going to stay in. I think on even on Thursday night, I think Oregon was posturing and telling people that, you know what, the Big 10 deal is just not enough. And I think on Friday morning, if you listen to Robert Robbins closely, on Friday morning, 
I think Oregon had a second meeting or a second phone call with, um, you know, with uh, the the Big Ten conference, and I think they got the pot sweetened, and I think they got. The, the little piece that they thought would close the deal. Listen to Robin's words carefully. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, look, we, we were, <laughs> I think we were all expecting Friday morning, we were showing up together to sign in blood uh, our grant of rights over to the, uh, to the Pac-12 conference. And, um, you know, we were notified uh, by, I, I guess they must have split us up. I, I got called by one of the presidents and said, look, this is tough, but we um, we came to an agreement with the Big Ten, uh, you know, ten minutes ago, and I just want to give you a heads up before we we get together uh, as presidents and chancellors that we'll be we'll be taking our talents to the Big Ten. You know, I don't know. I I don't think the media who were reporting, hey, the Pac-12 is going to pull it out, were privy to whatever happened in the half hour before the meeting. Could it? I think we were all going on information that came late Thursday night, and in, from, in my case, at 5 o'clock in the morning on Friday morning, I was told it's all on track, everyone's expected to be there, something happened right before the meeting. Yeah, because Arizona State President Michael Crow, he said the same thing. He echoed the same exact thing about the Apple deal, that they, they were intrigued by it, and they really liked it, and it sounded like they were going to stay. But it, it couldn't have been where, you know, ESPN, maybe they were trying to – do one last ditch effort to try to help it so Oregon and Washington didn't go to the Big Ten and Fox? Could that have been a thing, like, as well? Like, I'm, I'm thinking conspiracy theories here. Yeah. Like, could they have floated that out there? Because it was such a roller coaster ride in the morning. No. Um, are they going to stay? Are they going to leave? And it was just so weird that a half hour before the meeting that it gets tweeted out by numerous people, not just Nicole Auerbach, it was yeah. numerous people that said... Me too. Yeah, Me too. Yeah. I was saying, you know, this is... Uh, the, all all the presidents are expected to be there and sign the grant of rights. I was told that Friday morning at 5 o'clock in the morning by a member of the CEO group that, that is not in the state of Oregon. Okay, It wasn't Oregon. It wasn't Oregon State. It was another member of the CEO group who's saying, we're all lined up. This is going to happen. And uh, I really felt as though they went into that meeting. There was part of me that was happy for the nostalgia of the conference Hey, they've held this off. But also I was going, how many years until the Big Ten comes back? And, you know, is it two years? Is it three years? They come back after Oregon and Washington. I don't know. And here's the other thing. Like, there's some strange people on social media who are, like, really, really interested in Arizona and Arizona State having, like, made a decision that was not incumbent upon Washington and Oregon's decision. But the truth of the matter is, if Washington and Oregon were staying in this conference, you just heard from Robert Robbins. Does he sound like a guy who was going, you know what? We were in that meeting, but we weren't going to sign? No, he was signing. No, they, yeah, he proved it in that clip. Like, if Oregon stays and Washington stays, we're in the Pac-12. Like, that is very obvious. I think if you, it's very easy to see that. And anybody pushing the other way is just uh, trying to you know boost up yeah. that conference. Yeah, I, I got a bunch of jackasses on Twitter who are saying, you know, oh, you're making that up. Like, okay, I'm making up what five and six presidents are now saying publicly. You know, it, it, and, it, and really their motivation is, like, it's kind of sad to me. It's fanboy motivation, but it's like they want to have, you know, that Arizona wasn't, and Arizona State weren't sitting around waiting for Oregon. The truth of the matter is Oregon was the most powerful player left, and Oregon had options that others did not. And frankly, Oregon had options that Washington didn't have. 
And so if Oregon was going to stay in the conference, the conference was staying together. And if Oregon was leaving, the conference was blowing apart. That's a lot of pressure to put on Oregon. Hey, do what's best for you, but also know you're blowing up 800, you know, 108 years of history. And I think Oregon had to do what was right for itself in the end. Robert Robbins said it. But, but again, these presidents, chancellors, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm not impressed. They're running universities. I am not impressed with the group that I have been covering for the last year. I have to be frank with you. We're unified. We have solidarity. We're all in this together. And then they all in the 11th hour, despite the fact that, you know, they had talked about values and they had talked about principles, and they, they all were going making backup plans. And, you know, there were no friendships. There were no rivalry. They were all a bunch of pirates in the end. Leave it here. What do I think is going to happen to Oregon State? Well, I think the fallback plan for Oregon State is a uh, invitation to the Mountain West Conference. So I think if you look at that as the basement, uh, you know, and I don't mean any disrespect to Gloria Navarez, who's been on the show in the Mountain West Conference, but I think that is the fallback plan. It's right now it's about survive and advance. That's the name of the game. You need to know that you have a landing spot, uh, and then you can move forward from there. I think that's uh, that's the plan. I am told that uh, Oregon State uh, did have some conversations with the ACC, uh, but at this point, that does not seem to be a viable option for Oregon State. Let's play some punch it audio. We got great sound. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with Michael Crow, the Arizona State president, who is mansplaining, streaming to us as part of his news conference. How does streaming work, uh, Mr. Crow? And so along the way, what has happened uh, the last few days is that uh, we were offered a media contract by the Apple Corporation, which was a technological 23rd century Star Trek thing of really unbelievable capability that we were very interested in, ASU was very interested in. Digitization of all ASU football games, all men's basketball games, and all women's basketball games instantly available anywhere in the world at a touch of the button from any device anywhere digitally then manipulable by the watcher both during the game and between games and between multiple games at the same time as well as usable by athletes for recruitment and so forth and so on after the games as an archived thing and so we thought that there was uh, some risk but huge opportunity so several of the schools were uh, committed to that but it created another destabilizing moment of sort of tradition versus versus this, this modern thing. So a lot of back and forth. The uh, Pac-12 uh, uh, council, the CEOs, the presidents, and the chancellors met many times during the week uh, with a pivotal meeting yesterday that led to uh, ASU and others uh, joining the, uh, the Big 12. Pivotal meeting. Oregon and Washington pivoted to the Big Ten Conference. Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan. Utah's headed to the Big 12. But remember, Utah came to the Pac-12 just 12 years ago. Punch it. I would just like to add that, you know, the, the Pac-12 experience for the University of Utah, I, I, would, I would like to even think it's been more profound than, 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 than it has been for many other members. It, it changed this university. I saw it from afar working at uh, other, other Pac-12 schools. I saw the rise of Utah. 
uh, academically and certainly athletically. It's been a special, special ride, and we, we are so excited about this last lap ahead. Uh, you know, so many championships we have to defend uh, in the league this year, and certainly with where we sit today, trying to, to create history and, and have the third straight football championship. There's incredible people uh, in that conference, and certainly the commission, Commissioner Klyovkov, who I spent a lot of time with over the last few years, is, is a good man and worked extremely hard to try to present the best possible way forward. Best way forward, but not for seven of the nine schools that left on Friday. And, of course, uh, excuse me, five of the nine schools left on Friday, leaving four behind. Uh, Heather Dinnett, GSPN, talking about what's next in realignment. What's going to happen next? Please tell me. Punch it. It depends on what happens in the ACC, Greeny. That's where all eyes in college athletics are right now because Florida State's president was very vocal recently about saying, give us more money or we are out. It was a public squeeze, but it came at a time when the rest of the collegiate landscape was so volatile. So it was also raising their hand saying, hey, if you want to take us, we'll go. But they don't have any options right now. No offers or invitations from the SEC or the Big Ten. That doesn't mean it won't happen. And I can tell you there are other schools in the ACC that feel the same way as Florida State but have a different approach. Now, you have to remember it costs $120 million in an exit fee to leave that conference early. They have a grant of right that goes through 2036. The question is, can they get private equity, which is something they've been talking about to help pay for that exit fee and are they willing to go to court some sources say yes they are so keep an eye on the ACC this isn't over but people want to go where the money is greeny so to answer your question yes you could certainly wind up with three conferences at some point follow the money I think we're even uh, more likely to go to two conferences keep an eye on that coming up the five at five Steven's going to give us the five at five are we going to have that uh down goes Anderson as part of the five at five. Great punch over the weekend. What'd you make of that? Yeah, that was pretty uh, great call there by the announcer. It was pretty funny. You don't see like a lot of punches land in these type of fights. There was a mm-hmm. punch that landed. It reminded me of, yeah, baseball fights sometimes aren't really fights. They're a bunch of guys holding each other. Maybe a couple of fights. Some scratching going on. Some jersey pulling going on. A lot of wrestling around going on. Uh, but uh, I thought the cool part of that fight was like Tim Anderson acted like he actually was a fighter and he squared up, and then he got then he got knocked out. Leave it here. Well, you've had a weekend to digest everything that went down in the Pac-12 conference. We got a lot to talk about uh, in and around sports. Steven's going to do the five at five. Anna is on a hiatus from the uh, five at five. We're giving her a break from it. Uh, a uh, uh, little bit of news. Uh, Washington State President Kurt Schultz has issued a statement. I tweeted out uh, a link to that statement. Very interesting to see uh, how he's how he's lashing out. Uh, he, in his statement, said, quote, We were shocked when the University of Washington and the University of Oregon announced they had accepted Big Ten invitations on Thursday. The president's at... Washington State, Washington, uh, uh, and uh, Arizona State, and Arizona, and Oregon, it all sort of uh, locked arms. Uh, you read a statement, Stephen? Like, did you see the statement? I mean, he pretty much says, we were all on board and prepared. He's backing what Robert Robbins said. 
yeah, I, I read it and it was surprising because he, I mean, he called out Oregon and Washington at the very start of the statement and said it later on in the statement. I mean, he, he blamed those two schools for the Pac-12 going away. Like he, I mean, he didn't sugarcoat it at all. That's the way it's, that's the way it read. And that's the way I took it, man. It was, it was entertaining. Entertaining to see that go down. Um, also, uh, going to be interesting to see, um, you know, how the back and forth goes. I know that not everybody um, at all of the schools that are leaving to go to other conferences is happy about this. Uh, you know, I talked to a lot of the people involved. There are families involved. There are there is travel involved, and you know, we all see we all see um, college athletics as um, a sport to us. But uh, there are a lot of families involved in this. Two hundred employees of the Pac-12 conference itself, and there is an operational element to what the Pac-12 has to pull off now that. I don't blame you if you're thinking about it. Uh, all right, we're going to do the five at five. We got five big stories that Stephen has picked at, as the big stories of the day. You ready, Stephen? You all hydrated and ready to do this? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. The five at five. The number one story as Stephen sees it. Well, you can't touch on it just a little bit there, but uh, Kirk Schultz, Washington State president, issued a statement. Regarding what happened on Friday and over the weekend with the Pac-12 realigning and in it, he calls out Washington and Oregon. As he says, the last few weeks have been tumulus. I can't say that word, but for Washington State University, the Pac-12 conference, the decision by the University of Washington and the University of Oregon to accept others to join the Big Ten conference sealed the fate of the Pac-12. John, is that a good move by Washington State President to call out Oregon and Washington? Because I feel like you don't necessarily blame Oregon and Washington for going to the Big Ten, and I don't either. They did what's best for them. But uh, it really seems like the Pac-12 was ready to stay together. And now with more and more reports coming out, maybe a little more of that uh, the pie to blame should go to Oregon and Washington for breaking up the conference, as it seemed like the other seven members were really ready to stay on board and uh, join together uh, and force the Pac-12 to stay together. Now it looks like they may be coming apart or, you know, with the last four teams, make a new conference. Well, I think you're seeing what you're saying is like, you know, you were talking about the reporting that came out on Friday morning. Myself, along with several national media members, all expected the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors to go into that board meeting, sign the grant of rights, come out of it as a conference, and I think, you know, I think there was a lot of frustration. Robert Robbins, the president at Arizona, is frustrated. Michael Crow at Arizona State, he's poured his his life in the you know the last 20 years into the Pac-12 conference and working at Arizona State. And and Kirk Schultz at Washington State, you know, I think they want Oregon to feel some of that public scrutiny. They want Oregon to feel that, you know, hey, you're the one that did this. You had the ability or the um or, or the uh, the opportunity to hold the conference together and you didn't. And so I think there's a um, uh, a real emphasis or a real, you know, a real push right now from the other presidents who are waiting in that room to make everybody on the outside abundantly aware of what I told you on Thursday. Thursday during the show, I said, Oregon is the key to this. If Oregon stays, everybody stays. Now, I wasn't making that up. I wasn't getting that from one president. One chancellor. I was talking to more than half of them, and they were all telling me if Oregon stays, Washington stays. And if Oregon and Washington stays, guess what? We're not leaving. We're staying in this conference. And when Oregon left, everybody ran for the hills. And I think the presidents now are wanting everybody publicly to know what Oregon did. 
And, uh, you know, I- I'll play something before we move on. I mean, just in Oregon's defense, here's Rob Mullins, the Oregon Athletic Director. This is a, this is the next step of that bold vision, and it sets us up for the future in this changing landscape for sure. Um, and, you know, in that changing landscape, there's a lot of elements. Uh, obviously, um, the coach's contract was a big piece. This is a significant piece, and the facility that you reference is a big piece, um, as is making sure that we're providing all those support elements for our student-athlete in the modern game, um, and then also making sure that we are, are, are understanding NIL and that we are being progressive. We have one of the best facility infrastructures in all of college athletics to support those student-athletes, so of course that's an element. Uh, Otson is a key piece for us. I mean, football generates 70% of the resources that support these 20 sports. Um, and as you know, uh, that north side uh, does need some work. The south side's phenomenal. So that has been on our radar for a long time and will continue to remain on our radar. There's Rob Mullins in his defense. Oregon's going to tell you, hey, we did what was best for the University of Oregon. Moving on, number two story as Steven sees it is... Number two, uh, an actual baseball fight in Major League Baseball. Tim Anderson, Chicago White Sox, Jose Ramirez, Cleveland Guardians. Their suspensions have been dropped. Tim Anderson got dropped as well, but Anderson suspended six games. Jose Ramirez suspended three. Emmanuel Clase suspended for one game. Uh, This all happened. Jose Ramirez hit a double down the line, slid into second base, and there was a little bit of a tussle there between Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez. And uh, John, I know you got the. I think you got the audio ready to go. Oh, yeah, on this. I want to play it. Yeah, Tom, Tom Hamilton, uh, Cleveland Guardians Radio. He had a great call of it all. Uh, he played here. Here it comes. A swing and a smash to first by the diving Vaughn down the right field line. Kicks into the corner. Ramirez on his way to second. Head first slide. Safe and in the score is Jimenez. And another hustle double. Right over the bag at first. Now Hosey and Anderson square off. They're fighting. They're swinging. Down goes Anderson. Down goes Anderson. Ramirez went in with a head first slide. Hosey never gets upset about anything. They came up chewing. Anderson squared off. Hosey decked him. It's a 5-1 to one Chicago lead, but everybody from the dugouts and the bullpens congregated around second base. You never see Jose Ramirez get upset like that. And Tim Anderson was on the wrong side of that punch. The great call there, Tom <laughs> Hamilton. Ramirez said after the game that uh, Tim Anderson, he's been disrespecting the game of baseball for a while now, so... Anderson not only gets knocked down, he gets the bigger suspension than Jose Ramirez. It's really interesting to me because I was trying to figure out, like, how, first of all, great call. Like, it reminded me a little bit of Bill Shonley, Game 2, 1977 NBA Finals, when you you have a broadcaster who pivots calling a baseball call into a boxing broadcaster. Bill Shonley did it when Daryl Dawkins squared off with, uh, you know, with Maurice Lucas. Into Gilliam, put it up, doesn't drop. Dawkins the rebound, along with Bob Bruce, and now Daryl Dawkins. Oh, look at Ramsey. He, oh, here we go. We got a fight. Now Lucas hits Daryl Dawkins from behind. We got a good one. Dawkins and Lucas. Here we go. Here's a right-handed punch by Lucas. Now Dr. J gets a hold of Lucas, and Ramsey is right after Daryl Dawkins. Ramsey has 
was a spectator that, that got out there. And it all started when Bob Gross and Daryl Dawkins went up for a rebound. Really good call by Shanley. You know, but here, here's the thing, though. The other thing I was thinking about. Why does this become a fight where you actually have people squaring off? Well, it becomes a fight like that because it doesn't happen at home plate. It happens in the space created at second base. And there's not that much space out there at second base because you got other players that are involved. But you're not close enough for a catcher or several other t- teammates coming from the dugout to get there in a timely fashion. Yeah, because they, they stood yeah. up and they both put their fists up and stood there for about a, a good second before they actually engaged in punches. So you're right. There's no one to break it up. And that's what gave them a little time, which made it good. Gives you some time. Gives you an opportunity to throw punches. Uh, the reputation of Tim Anderson, he does have kind of a rap around the league as being a guy who uh, doesn't make friends. And I kind of wondered about his teammates. Like, you know, he got knocked out and they were let, helping him off the field. But I kind of wondered, you know, what it was about his teammates and and uh, what they were thinking about it. And he's not All having right. a very good season either. Your number three Num- story number is. Three. Your, uh, your quarterback for your 49ers, Brock Purdy. He is uh, unlikely to play in the preseason opener for the 49ers, although he is practicing fully for the Niners coming off that surgery on his right UCL elbow uh, during the offseason when he hurt it against the Philadelphia Eagles back in the NFC title game. Coach Kyle Shanahan, he said he doubt that Brock's plays, but they haven't fully decided yet and that they have changed their mind before, but he seems to err on the side of caution a lot more than uh, usual. Looks like Brock Purdy won't play in the preseason opener for the Niners, but I I would find it hard to believe he's going to play any in the preseason uh, if he's going to be the guy, which by all accounts seems like he will be the starting quarterback when it comes week one for the 49ers. It's interesting because, you know, everybody's kind of wondering what they're going to do with Trey Lance. They also, uh, obviously, in the offseason, made some moves to fortify the depth of that position. It just kind of looks like it's Brock Purdy's team it's just a matter of when he's in the lineup and when he's at full strength. Whether that comes in week one, whether that comes in week two, we'll see. I, I kind of relate it to the situation in Utah, where you got Cam Rising in Utah expected to be there for the opener. They play uh, Florida on a Thursday night in the opener for the uh, conference, or excuse me, the non-conference season. Um, but everybody knows it's his team at, at whatever point he's healthy. Same with Brock Purdy. That's what happens when you take a team to the NFC Championship game. I think they trust him. And they like him more than they like uh, Trey Lance, who, by the way, they gave up a bunch of picks to get at the top of the draft, and Purdy was the last guy drafted. But also, John, you know, I'm not the biggest Brock Purdy fan. I think he's fine, but I don't know how good he is. He didn't play a whole bunch last season. Would it be – is it smart to risk it and play him in the preseason? Because he does need more reps. Like, he needs more reps. He didn't get a lot of reps last season. Would it actually be helpful to put him out there in the preseason, even though you are risking – him a little bit, I guess. He's cleared to play. He's cleared to practice. I don't know. I I, find, I don't think they'll play him, but I almost feel like it might be better for him this season get if he get out there. Yeah, get out there get and get some reps. Because they don't know who he is. Right. Like That's part of the problem when trying to decide, is he, the, is he part of the future? Nobody knows. Nobody's seen enough of him. I don't mind that. Number four story, as you see it. Yeah, the U.S. women's national team in soccer, the World Cup, they lost to Sweden over the weekend. It was a 0-0 tie. They lost in PKs, which ends their chance at a three-peat for the Women's World Cup. That has never happened, and it still never will happen as they lose in the uh, first round of the knockout stage. A very early exit for Team USA as they were the favorites heading into the World Cup. 
They struggled though in the in the round robin group play where they didn't actually win their group. They got second in their group, which was not expected. They uh, drew with the Netherlands. They had trouble even with uh, Vietnam in the first game, and then they drew against. Uh, I'm just blanking on who they played the third game, but Portugal. They, Portugal, Portugal, that's right. Yeah. And they probably should have lost that game as well. Got outplayed, got saved by the by the bar. Um, USA going out real early in the World Cup, John. That's a little bit of disappointment. A lot of people not liking this World uh, Women's National Team by the way they acted. Uh, you know, they were out there dancing around a lot, and then they yeah, didn't back it up. they're smiling afterwards, too. Yeah. You know, why are you smiling? You just got your butt kicked. Carly Lloyd uh, called him out. Alexi Lalas called him out. Uh, is there going to be big-time changes with the uh, women's national team, or is it just kind of a one-off year, or is or the rest of the world catching up to the USA? I, I don't want to buy the rest of the world catching up yet because we had such an advantage. It's like, you know, I just kind of want to – I want to dismiss this as almost like when the Dream Team went to Athens and got beat by Puerto Rico. You know, it has that feel to it. Like, we have the best men's basketball on the planet, and then suddenly we can't beat Puerto Rico. It was the makeup of the team. I think there was something wrong there. You have a team that I think has some older players, and let's point a finger at Megan Rapinoe first. She looked like a ghost of herself out there. She was not herself, missing a penalty kick, not just didn't look like the Megan Rapinoe that had led the U.S. women's national team to some big wins. And I just think there needs to be, it was kind of a reckoning maybe that was overdue. Uh, you know, maybe they need to do what USA Basketball did in the wake of the embarrassment uh, there in Athens in 2004. I was there. I saw that. It was terrible. They were bad. It was, it was great basketball players. It was Carmelo Anthony. It was LeBron. You know, it was Sean Marion. It was it was Tim Duncan. And they couldn't beat Puerto Rico. Kobe. They couldn't beat Puerto Rico. And so I think there there needs to be kind of a reassessment of where we are. I still think we have the best women's soccer on in, in the planet. I think we'll get back. But I think there needs to be some wholesale changes, maybe with coaching and maybe with uh, certainly with the roster. Yeah, it seemed it seemed a little overconfident coming into the World Cup and acted like they could all just flip a switch yeah. and they were going to win it all. Just didn't happen. Yeah. But I, I'm with you. It, it's just disappointing to lose this early on. And it was one of those things where if USA wins the World Cup, we would talk about it when they win the World Cup. If they lose early, we'll talk about it when they lose early. Never in between. So it's just a little disappointing. But uh, I understand yeah. it. Here's another thing too. You you uh, you essentially complained about not getting paid like the men's team. You complained about not getting the exposure of the men's team. You complained and you whined, and then when it came time to play, you didn't look very good. You looked like the men's team, for crying out loud. Like, I liked them better when I was like, man, you know what? They're playing so well, they should be paid more than the men's team. Like, let's have a merit-based system. But, you know, were, were they too focused on all that stuff and not as focused on staying sharp and playing great soccer i don't know it just uh, it was such a dud and a lot of people who were getting up at like two in the morning four in the morning to watch them play uh you know got nothing for their troubles number five story as steven sees it we talked about this a little bit last week with johnny manzel he's opening the bar down college station which i think will be successful and i thought was successful you don't necessarily think it'll be successful now that's not the story the story is that a documentary on Netflix on the Untold series will be coming out tomorrow about Johnny Manziel. And in the documentary, Johnny Manziel reveals that he tried to attempt suicide after the Browns cut him in 2016. Manziel says after he uh, got cut, 
he went and he had a self-sabotaging. He went on a $5 million bender before attempting to end his life. Johnny Manziel, though, of course, still alive. He's opening that bar down at College Station. Untold Johnny Football scheduled to be released on Netflix tomorrow. I know, John. Johnny Manziel is fascinating to me. I uh, I thought he was a fun college football player. I mean, I'll never forget when they went down, Texas A&M beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. It's one of those things like that sticks out when I think of college football. I think of Johnny Manziel. I think of Tim Tebow. I'm going to watch this documentary. I'm excited for it. Um, but Johnny Manziel, back in the news again. But this time we're going to hear uh, some things about his life, and it's probably a pretty crazy life that he lived. It's going to make me feel bad because here I was saying, like, you know, what name recognition does he have left? Why would he be opening up a restaurant and a bar, you know, in College Station? And, you know, who's going to want to go to that place? And then here he goes. He's, uh, you know, is it going to make him human, all of this, humanize him? There's also going to be a documentary on Netflix uh, later on this month about the Florida teams with Urban Meyer oh, and gosh. Tim Tebow, Aaron Hernandez, those type of things. I'm pretty sure we're going to hate Urban Meyer at the end uh, of that. I agree with you. Uh, I think we'll hate Urban Meyer, but I think there'll be some fascinating stories. So sometimes Netflix comes out with these good sports documentaries. Netflix is doing some good stuff. They are. Uh, we've been watching the uh, the tennis one, Breakpoint. Oh, yeah. That's a great one. And then we're uh, going to watch the full swing after that. And Quarterbacks. We watched Quarterback. It was a great series. Netflix yeah. has done some good uh, good sports things lately, so I'm excited. To, the untold documentaries they do as well, they've done Malice in the Palace. They've done stuff like that. They've done some good things. I'm excited to see this Johnny Manziel one tomorrow. This uh, The Quarterback series, if people haven't seen it, I mean, they take Kirk Cousins, they take Marcus Mariota, and, and uh, they take um, – um, Patrick Mahomes, and they just get access that you can't get anywhere else. They take you, you know, to their homes, inside their lives, inside the training room, inside with their personal trainers, and and they really humanize them. And I got to be honest with you, like I I didn't know a lot about Kirk Cousins. Came away from the series going, wow, you know, he's a likable guy. I you know, I totally agree. I told my wife that, like, I thought nothing of Kirk Cousins, and after the yeah. documentary, I thought, man, this guy. Like loves football, he eats, eats and breathes it. Like that's all he thinks about. I have a new respect for Kirk Cousins, and I, you know, I hope he's successful now. Like it made him very likable. So I, I'm with you. Like this, these documentaries, the quarterback one especially, was really good. Just check it out. And Marcus Mariota, you know, I didn't know he had like his childhood friend who was on his Pop Warner team, who went to a culinary school in Portland, by the way, is now his personal chef. You know, when he was down in Atlanta, at least he was cooking for him. He was his personal chef. His wife is just, uh, you know, former Oregon soccer player. She's just such a likable person. Like, you understand. Like, we all have such great respect for Marcus Mariota. Well, now you get a chance to see, here's the human being that he picked to spend the rest of his life with. And you get to know her a little bit in the documentary series. and You can kind of see what they go through as a family. And it really humanizes him. But I got to be honest with you. The guy that gained the most in that series was Patrick Mahomes, in my mind. He is so likable. Like, yeah. he, it makes me want to be a Chiefs fan. He's out there on the field just having the time of his life, running around firing people up, talking to defensive players. Um, I find I actually find his wife a little bit obnoxious, like mildly obnoxious, and I mean that with all due respect. She just... You know, that's his girlfriend from when he was in sixth grade, and, you know, they're married, and it's a I, great story. I actually thought she came off more likable than I thought she would. I, I thought I would hate her so much more because I've seen her on <laughs> social media, and I'm like, oh, I don't like this lady. But she came across more – I mean, she's a little crazy. She's got she's got screw loose, but, like, she came across as, like, a family person. Like, she loves it. 
I, I'm with you though. Patrick Mahomes, he gained a lot in that documentary. He's a badass. He's awesome. I mean, Dude, he, he's a baller. Like that is, He is a baller. You, yep. If you are creating a leader of a team and of your franchise, it's Patrick Mahomes. Like that's the guy you want for any franchise. He's running around the field and he has this, you know, it's I think it's in like episode 3, he's talking about to Joe uh, Nick Bosa and, you know, Niners defensive end, he's telling him good rush. Great job out there and then he says, you know, I tell those guys good rush because you know, they have the ability at the end of the play to give you a little extra or not, you know, and sometimes subconsciously if they like you and they have respect for you, maybe they won't give you that little extra. I mean, he's just, he's, he's, and he gets onto the field, he comes running out of the tunnel, and he's just like, there's nobody having more fun than Patrick Mahomes on game day. And it's fun to watch that. It's fun to watch people who just have that X factor. George Plimpton wrote a book about it. It's called The X Factor. I used to talk about it all the time. Bring it back up now. If, you, if you're looking for a book to read, it's a very digestible book on leadership. It's called The X Factor. George Plimpton wrote it. And he just sort of writes about why leaders in the world, not just in sports, why leaders are like what makes a great leader and what makes what separates somebody uh, as a competitor. And he kind of wrote about Michael Jordan and before the Jordan, well, long before the Jordan documentary, decades before. And he wrote about Lee Iacocca, who was the uh, the CEO of Chrysler. And he wrote about a president and he wrote about Muhammad Ali and he wrote, you know, Patrick Mahomes has the X factor. He, you know, he's going to kill you if you compete against him in anything. He's at one of these, you know, harvest like, you know, you know, when you go to the pumpkin patch and they have kind of like the uh, the the corn maze and the games and everything. There's a little football throw thing. He's playing the football throw thing. And he's, you know, he's, I can do that. You know, like it's he's just such a likable guy and such a big-time competitor. And it was cool to see him when he was with his family and his little kids, like how he turned into Patrick Mahomes, the dad, right? Like he completely yes. shut off the football zone and he went dad mode. And then as soon as it goes back to football, you could see it just, you know, it switches the flip. He also, switch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's talking about his mohawk. He's like, I have to change my hairstyle. His teammate's like, why? And he's like, because I got two kids. I, <laughs> I can't be a dad with a mohawk. Like he's just a, he's a likable human being. And uh, I'm going to have a hard time rooting against the Chiefs at any point because Pat, as long as Patrick Mahomes is in uniform. Uh, you know, that call, that baseball call, got me thinking about broadcasters and great calls and broadcasters who can adjust on the fly. We'll talk more about what makes a great call, and Tom Hamilton got it right. Down goes Anderson. Uh, we'll talk about that and more coming up. I've been working really hard in the last 72 hours trying to figure out where Oregon State's going to end up, where Washington State's going to end up been looking at Oregon and Washington and their trajectory into the Big Ten Conference. I'll have more. I may post tonight at johnconzano.com. If you want to get that, make sure you go to johnconzano.com, get a free subscription, get a paid subscription, whatever works for you works for me. Uh, you'll get it in real time delivered to your email inbox when I post. But uh, I am scheduled uh, coming up here at the end of the show to talk to some key people that are involved in Oregon State's future or in Washington State's future. And when that happens, you'll know what I know. Um, on the meantime, I want to replay the clip. Great call at second base. Is it a great call when someone gets knocked out? I don't know. Jose Ramirez, Tim Anderson, they had a little Donnybrook at second base. A little uh, dust-up, so to speak. They squared off. Uh, out at second base. Here is the Guardians radio play-by-play -play broadcaster with the call. And listen in particular at how he pivots from being a baseball broadcaster into being a boxing play-by-play -play broadcaster. Here it comes. 
A swing and a smash to first by the diving Vaughn. Down the right field line. Kicks into the corner. Ramirez on his way to second. Head first slide. Safe and in to score is Jimenez. And another hustle double. Right over the bag at first. Now Jose and Anderson square off. They're fighting. They're swinging. Down goes Anderson. Down goes Anderson. Ramirez went in with a head first slide. Jose never gets upset about anything. They came up chewing. Anderson squared off. Jose decked him. It's a 5-1 to one Chicago lead, but everybody from the dugouts and the bullpens congregated around second base. You never see Jose Ramirez get upset like that. And Tim Anderson was on the wrong side of that punch. Literally pivoted from being a baseball play-by-play broadcaster into calling boxing. The call itself, as I mentioned earlier, reminded me of Bill Shonley and his great pivot in calling the fight between Daryl Dawkins and Maurice Lucas. But I also thought about a great call that Lon Simmons had, baseball broadcaster who was a San Francisco Giants broadcaster, when he was calling uh, a a play at second base involving Willie Mays. This uh, is another fight that broke out. Again, another case of a broadcaster pivoting from calling his primary sport into saying, hey, I'm still a play-by-play person. Shea bluffs now. Now throw to second base, and Mays is back in. And now that Jacone starts hitting Mays, Mays jumps on him, and Cepeda and Craig are at it. Cepeda and Craig, and Cepeda gets in a left hook. Boy, we've got a brawl at second base. As Jacone started hitting Mays on top of the head as they were lying there, Mays picked Jacone up and threw him on the ground. Cepeda swung a left hook and... Almost Deck Craig. We've got ball players all over there. Russ, I don't know what that was about. Mays slid into second, and Chacon just started hitting him on the head. And Mays picked Chacon up and threw him down on the ground. Some headed came over and swung a beautiful left hook that nailed Roger Craig right on the button. Uh, Lon, I've seen some good ones, but this is the best when they get squared off individually like that. It's the first time I've ever seen Mays throw a punch. And after uh, Chacon hit him, Mays tagged him once and picked him up and bounced him around on the ground. Then Cepeda went for Craig and uh, gave him as good a left hook as I have ever seen. As good a left hook as he's ever seen as uh, Cepeda hits Roger Craig right on the button. Irony there, Roger Craig went on to become the San Francisco Giants manager, and uh, Orlando Cepeda was around the team. After that, you think they made up? Uh, All right, I want to give you another example of a great broadcaster pivoting and uh, doing something that maybe uh, he wasn't used to do, uh, used to doing. But, uh, you know, you talk about having to make on the fly an adjustment. Broadcasters do it all the time, literally adapting to the circumstances around them or what they're seeing in front of them. But sometimes you're calling a uh, you're calling a uh, football game. And there's a black cat on the field. Here's uh, Kevin Harlan on Monday Night Football. Going down to the turf. Oh, there's a cat. A black cat has taken the field. 
A black cat is running from the 20 to the near side, the 10. And he got in the end zone at the other end of the field. A shotgun snap from the 39 in Dallas. Here's a short throw down the middle caught by Ingram. Caught at the 35, went to the 30. Now the cat running the other way. And so is Ingram at the 30 to the 25 to the 24-yard line of the Dallas Cowboys. It's a catch run at 15. Now the cat is stopped at the 50. The cat, the black cat, is at the other end of the field. He's at the eight. doesn't know that it was last Thursday that was Halloween. Thursday oh, night right. football, yeah, not Monday night football. He's a little bit late. Now he's at the five. He's Who brought the walking. cat? He's walking to the three. <laughs> he's at the two. And the cat is in the CDW red zone. CDW people who get it. Now a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field. And the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. And the cat is elusive. Kind of like Barkley and Elliott. But he didn't know where to go. Look at they're trying to corner him. And they got him in the end zone. There are state troopers all around this cat, which now climbs up into the stands. And the fans are running for their line. Now it goes back on the field again. And it's running in the back of the end zone. And it runs up the tunnel. <laughs> Kevin Harlan pretty good at adjusting that way. Uh, here he was during the Super Bowl couple years ago in the fourth quarter streaker ran onto the field is this better than the black cat call second down 20 503 to go someone has run on the field some guy with a brawl and now he's not being chased he's running down the middle of the 40 arms in the air and a victory salute he's pulling down his pants put up your pants my man pull up those pants he's being chased to the 30 he breaks a tackle from a security guard the 20 down the middle the 10 the five he slides at the one and they converge on him at the goal line pull up your pants take off the bra and be a man and the players with hands on hips at the other end of the field are looking at him and shaking their head and saying why oh why is this taking place in a Super Bowl? And Kevin, if you're going to run that far, get into the end zone. Don't slide at the one. You got to score once you got on the field. Get into the end zone, my man. Lord, now they're cuffing him. But pull up his drawers, whatever you do. 5.03 to go. Timeout on the field. I love that. Which is the better call? I like the streaker call. I actually uh, prefer this call from Kevin Harlan, the drunk fan with 49ers <laughs> Rams. I got it ready to go. Here we go. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hat and a red shirt. Now he takes off the shirt. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's at the 30. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. Now he runs the opposite way. He runs at the 50. He runs at the 40. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. The 20. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. Waving his arms, bare-chested. Somebody stop Look that out. man. Here comes the blue coat, Oh, Kevin. they got him. Here They're comes coming the blue from the coat. left. Oh, they tackle him at the 40-yard line. There it is. Love I, that. I love that Kurt Warner is a part of all of it too, and he like doesn't know yeah. what to say because Harlan, because Harlan's killing it. Like he's, you know, he's making it a great time. What do you? How do you add to that conversation? You can't. There's just good. They, that's good broadcasting. I think good broadcasting is good broadcasting. You're like you know what's going on. You're telling the listener what's going on, and sometimes, I I don't like it when there's something happening on the field, and you can tell that the TV broadcast doesn't want you to know. I. I don't watch TV to not know what's going on. I watch it to know what's going on. So if there's a cat on the field or a streaker or somebody's running out to protest, I get why they don't want to draw attention to it. The league's probably saying, hey, don't don't draw attention to it. 
But if it's like that, like, you know, let, let him have some fun. Well, that's the thing. It's it's sports, and sports is supposed to be fun, right? And that he's adding to the funness of the actual game. Because you're right. Like, that's, that's what it's about. It's about having fun, getting away from everything. And, you know, I, I'm with you. I want to hear if there's a cat running around in the end zone. It's, it's great. And uh, some of these guys just do a fantastic job just as a broadcaster pivoting. Um, really, it made me think about it. When you have the play at second base with the Guardians, you know, player knocking out the White Sox shortstop, um, I didn't mind that the broadcaster went into a boxing call. I love that Bill Shonley, once upon a time, may his soul rest in peace. I loved once upon a ton of time. He just said, yeah, we got a good one. There's a right hand by Lucas. You know, it's suddenly you're explaining to us, and I and I got to be honest here, there is some bias because I'm on the radio, but I think that the radio guys tend to do a better job. You know, Bill Shonley calling that Lucas, he had the radio background. Kevin Harlan, correct me if I'm wrong, is he not on, like, Westwood One Radio yeah, calling those? Yeah, those? those are all radio calls. Yeah, he's on the radio. See, these guys are not afraid to paint a picture, as Bill Shonley used to say. Paint a picture of what's going on because they know you're not there. In television, They what do they do? They avert the camera, and then they'll say something kind of under their breath because, you know, like, all of a sudden the – the shot you're expecting of the two huddles is not on the on the screen, and they'll go, oh, there's a protester on the field. And that's all they'll say. You know? Meanwhile, Kevin Harlan's going bananas. You know? And not only that, Kevin Harlan's a pretty good broadcaster when he's calling the games and he's doing the play-by-play. I mean, come on. Adebayo mashing his way into Horford. Shot clock at three. Butler with Brogdon on him. It's a long three. And Puts it in. <laughs> Clock running down. And it's the butler who did it. Jimmy Bleepin' Butler. Do you, do you think, though, that has to do with because he is such a veteran, he is so good that he, he knows that he can do these type of things and he's not going to get in trouble for it? Like, if you're a new announcer, maybe you don't want to draw attention to yourself like that. Maybe. Maybe that's the case. If you're a brand-new announcer, you don't want to do something like that. But... uh I don't know. I think in the end, I, I part of what I love about part of what I love about broadcasters in general is they could have done other things. They chose to do this, and the ones who are good at it are immersed in it, like to a point where like some of the great broadcasters aren't necessarily great people. Like you see broadcasters all the time who uh, you know you're going, oh that guy. That guy, is a, he's a tyrant. Whatever. Some of them are because they're traveling with their teams. They're just immersed in it to a degree that, like, you know, doesn't make any sense. And But I, I'm left kind of off in thinking, you know, uh, Kevin Harlan probably is immersed in it and just does a hell of a job at what he does. Leave it here. You get the BFT. Well, it's uh, it's been one of those shows today. I think uh, hour number one was, uh, was all right. Like, I think we endured hour number one. It's fair to say we endured. Um, uh, part of the beauty of radio, part of the beauty of any of this stuff that I do on a daily basis, whether it's writing or, or, uh, radio or even, uh, television and whatnot, it's, um, it's all very fluid. And I find that, um, uh, I find that it's a, probably a lot like real life in that, you know, we start the show. I, I don't normally talk about technical problems on the show and I make it a point that if we're having a technical problem, that uh, that we don't talk about it. Why? Because that's not why you're coming to the show. And it's always bothered me. It's bothered me for years whenever we have had, like, other people on air or even if I'm listening to a radio show and they start talking about the problems that they're having 
technically, or they start, uh, or they start talking about being tired, how tired they are, how fatigued they are. Like, like somebody wants to turn in. What's the radio show about? Oh, it's about how fatigued I am. Not, don't give me that. Nobody wants to hear how fatigued you are. What people want to hear about is they want to know what's going on. They want to know what you think about it. They uh, want to know what they should care about, uh, you know, and, and maybe they want to also share some of their own thoughts and feelings and, and uh, what those things are about. And, and I thought Friday's show, we did a really good job of that, of allowing people to kind of vent, share, duck fan, excited to play Michigan, excited to play Penn State, know my school did what was best for it, Beaver fan, really mad, anxious about what's going to happen, lamenting the loss of the conference, neutral fan. I hate where college football's going. Uh, like, it was great on Friday. A lot of that, plus some smart guests in between. Thought Friday's show was awesome. Great for, because of that. Listened back a couple times. Had a couple things that I nitpick. But by and large, I thought Friday's show was, was awesome. But on today, we start the show today. And I and I have to tell you about the, the technical problem because I just disappear twice in the first 30 minutes of the show. And one time, uh, you know, Frank, I'll just tell you what's happening. Like, um, you know... Takes a really, it takes a lot of technology to pull the show off, right? Yeah, statewide show, going a bunch of different places. So the speed of internet that we're dealing with here is high speed stuff. This is this is uh, you know not the speed of light, but you know we're talking about the speed of light as I'm talking to the engineers and technicians. So Comcast, which has provided the internet for the show, um, largely uh, in the last you know two or three years. Um, you know, decided they wanted to give better speed. Not that there was anything wrong with the old speed, but they, they, we got we have faster speed available now. Okay, cool. And like a lot of you, I'm stuck in Comcast hell, where uh, I have to uh, tell them, you know, I'll accept a window of like three hours for your for your installer to come in and bring the router. That is just replacing the existing router. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with what we had before, which kind of frustrates me. But anyway, I digress. I'm going to be here anyway. I'm working. Uh, but I get the uh, text message from Comcast that says, hey, the technician will be there between 1 and 3 p.m. And I'm like, I hope he shows up closer to 1 because that would be really better for a guy who hosts a radio show that is dependent upon that Internet at 3 o'clock. Well, you know what happened at 2.33. Knock, knock, knock. I open the door, uh, uh, not, tech, not the technician's fault, they just schedule his day, but my first question was, I said, hey, how you doing? Fist bump. And I said, how long is this going to take? And he says, 15 minutes, as long as everything goes well. And I said, okay, here's the logistics of that. I host a radio show. I'm, I'm, in, I'm uh, reliant upon said internet, and uh, it, it's not the Wi-Fi I'm worried about. I need the hard line. For the internet, and uh, you know, is this all going to be done by then? And he was like, ah, "Yeah, it's done. It'll be done. You know, great, out the door, we're good." So he comes in, and really nice guy, and of course, a lot of questions as he comes into the studio because he's looking around. And he's like, "Oh, you have an Oakland A's jersey hanging on the wall. Let's talk about that. You have, uh, you know, different lighting in here, different cameras in here now, and um, you know, the room is like a chroma chroma chrome green color because." Sometimes if you're doing video, you, you want to have a backdrop behind you, whatnot. When I was doing KGW TV and Anna does her show, that expert show. And so anyway, a lot of conversation about that and just small talk. And I, But I'm clock watching the whole time because I'm going, you know what, uh, trying to make sure I'm going to have enough time 
to get everything hooked up, uh, talk to Steven down the line, and uh, get set so that we can focus on the show. And he finishes, lo and behold, just as he said, it takes him like 15 minutes, he shows me the uh, Wi-Fi box, and he says, the blinking lights don't worry about. Here's the power light button. That on, that's on, you're good. And then he said, these other three lights, you really want to make sure that they're static, that they're solid, bright white. And so I'm like, okay, I got the buttons down. Have a good day. We make some small talk. He's on his way. He's got his van parked out front. I, uh, I lock up. I go back into the studio. I realize that all of a sudden all the lights are off. All of them. The blinking lights are gone. The solid lights are gone. The power lights gone. Uh, I wait a minute. Nothing. I look and I listen for Stephen down the line. Nothing. So then I go bolting back towards the front door, out into the street. I find him sitting in his van. I knock on his window. He rolls the window down. I said, "Hey, the whole thing's down." He has this panicked look on his face, and he goes, "We got five minutes." Because he looks at the clock. So now he and I are both hustling back into the studio. He takes one look at the router, the light comes back on, and he goes, oh, it was doing an update. He said the firmware needed to be updated. And he says, eh, it probably does that one time. Now it's going to be fine. He says it should be working fine. It starts to function again. We start the show. I go on a rant about the Pac-12 conference. I start talking about the uncertainty. I start talking about everybody's running for the hills, how Oregon State and Washington State need to worry about themselves. And ultimately, um, as I'm doing that, I realize I'm talking to myself and the lights are back off again. I don't know when I lost you, Stephen, but I had a hell of a rant going and I realized uh, I was no longer talking to anybody else. So I then... Notice that the router started back up again. Must have been doing another update. And I waited for it to reconnect. I rejoined you a few minutes later. Everything was good. And then I started talking. Then I started ranting again about the presidents and the chancellors and the lack of leadership in the Pac-12 conference. And, you know, is the ACC going to work for Stanford and Cal? Maybe. It's not going to work for Oregon State and Washington State. You know, I'm told that Oregon State and Washington State talked to the ACC and nothing came of it. And, you know, I'm starting to get into that, and all of a sudden I realize I'm no longer talking to you. The router has now gone dark again, and it's rebooting for a third time. This one took a while. I don't know if you guys noticed that one, that third one. It took a while. I was sitting here. A friend of mine who listens to the show from Arizona is texting me. He's like, hey, you should go to Starbucks do this show, which I should. I should should just take the show on the road all the time. So uh, literally by the third time it came back on, I was calling Comcast to go, hey, you know, is this going to happen? And suddenly it reconnected. I hung up with Comcast because you know I never got a person. And we have that in common. And we haven't had a problem since. So maybe this never happens again. I don't like bringing my problems into your world. I would rather just be talking to you about sports and, you know, Punches thrown at second base, and what's Oregon State going to do, whatnot. But I wanted you to know what was happening, that I wasn't, like, bailing on you early in the show in case it happened again. If you want a podcast to this radio show and you want to listen to that first hour and be delighted at uh, what, what uh, you know, me talking to myself, uh, you can do that by grabbing a podcast. We're back tomorrow. I think some big things are going to happen for Oregon State and Washington State in the next 24 to 48 hours. We'll have it on this show. Also, you'll have it at johnconzano.com in real time. The bald-faced truth not here for a long time, just a good time.